When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone this is the other side of midnight i'm frank moreno this is the first show i've done in a long time maybe years in fact where i've been a little bit nervous you know why because i'll tell you what's coming up on the show for the next four hours we have i have Absolutely no idea. This is, for the next four hours, uh, Frank Morano's Magical Mystery Show. Uh, I have no idea how many guests are going to be on the show today. I have no idea who they are. I have no idea what they're going to be be talking about. I have turned the rain. I have no idea when they're going to be on. I have turned the reins. I have no idea if they're going to be in studio or on the phone or via Opal or Zoom or Skype or any of the other ways that we connect with guests, I have turned the reins of this program for the next four hours over to Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, and Jennifer Grodd. They have booked all of the guests that we're going to have on. I don't know if that means we're going to have one person, two, three, four, five, and I don't know what we're going to be talking about. I am not going to know the identity of the person or persons that are going to be on this show until right before the interview begins. Why are we doing this? One, I thought it would be fun. I thought it would be sort of a nice change. I thought it would add a level of unpredictability. Two, uh, a couple of the other listeners that heard uh, an interview that I did with this person or that person that they thought was pretty good, they said, well, you know, it would be fun to hear Frank Morano embark on an interview challenge where we'll see if he could do one of these interviews without knowing anything going in. So we'll see. Uh, Well, this could be the greatest disaster in the history of radio, or we could find out that uh, I have been wasting all that time preparing for all these interviews that I've done over the years. We'll see. But uh, so Matt and Alex, just let me know if uh, we have somebody scheduled and uh, just let me know who they are and we'll go to them. Or if they're in studio, I guess you could just walk them in. Now, uh, there's a number of other subjects that uh, I want to get to that don't involve Yes. And one is a story that I find very sad. Now, I've talked about the situation involving John Hinckley before, and I've tweeted about it and I've looked at it pretty closely. John Hinckley, of course, is the man who shot uh, President Ronald Reagan back in 1981 and shot James Brady. Uh, President Reagan, thankfully, was able to recover and live many happy years after that. And, uh, go on to be president for another seven and a half years after that. But um, James Brady, his life was never the same. He was never able, he, he was permanently disabled, and his death was hastened tremendously. And 
his life was completely different because of that shooting from John Hinckley. Now, John Hinckley was clearly mentally ill. He was in his 20s at the time, and he was somebody that said he did this in order to um, impress Jodie Foster. He had seen the movie Taxi Driver, and he was somebody that uh, believed that if he did this, this would put him on Jodie Foster's radar screen. He had essentially an obsessive fixation. And he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Now, that is a very difficult thing to do, a very difficult offense. A lot of people have tried it. It's pretty rare. It's pretty rare, especially for murder and attempted murder. It's especially rare, if you're gonna, I would think, if you're going to try and shoot a president. Now, I've always sort of been of the belief that if you're mentally ill enough, oh, by the way, John Hinckley just had a birthday, May 29th. I'll tell you uh, some uh, tells you a lot about the kind of people that were born on May 29th. Now, if you're going to be so mentally ill that you're going to be able to try and kill someone, let alone try to kill a president, let alone try to kill a, a president in order to impress a movie star. In my view, you're probably never going to be well enough mentally to be able to be integrated back into society. Now, uh, you, those of you that have seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I'm sure a lot of you know the premise of that film, that play, and that book. And essentially, that character, Jack Nicholson's character in the film, masquerades as someone who's mentally ill so he doesn't have to go to prison, and so he can go what he thinks is going to be a, a plum assignment in a mental institution. Instead, he goes to the mental institution, and they and he finds that even when his time is up, He's not necessarily released from the mental institution because they still find him to be mentally ill. And that's my view, is that if you're going to be so out of whack mentally that you're going to kill someone or try to kill two people, and that you're never going to be well enough to be a member of society. Now, John Hinckley was under institutional psychiatric care for over three decades. And apparently now he has gotten a clean bill of health. There are no restrictions on his release. He is as as free as anybody else, free of any sort of criminal restraints, free of any sort of psychiatric restraints. And now he is able to showcase his art, he's able to showcase his writing, and he's able to public his music under his own name rather than anonymously, as he did prior to a, a ruling in 2020. And he even has a YouTube channel. Believe that? He even has a YouTube channel, and all restrictions on his unconditional release have been removed as of a week or so ago. And first of all, a couple of things jump out at me. Whoever the psychiatrists are that were working on John Hinckley, these people have to be the best mental health professionals in the history of the psychiatric profession. Because if they're going to take somebody who was so out of his mind 
that he thought he could kill a president and then impress a movie star. And then within a few short decades, 30 years, which when you're talking about mental illness is not necessarily that long of a time, you're going to take somebody and treat them for 30 years, and all of a sudden they're going to be right as rain and able to function in society. We need to know whoever the psychiatrists are for John Hinckley, and they need to be celebrated as Sigmund Freud 2.0. They need to be conducting master classes on everything and everybody that has mental restrictions and mental mental issues because these people are clearly masters. Either that or something else was going on here. Now, I don't think something else was going on. I do think John Hinckley was mentally ill, and I'll go along with their diagnosis is that he's well enough to join society. I just think it's amazing that you can have that amount of a turnaround. But here's my problem. Why do you know who John Hinckley is? The only reason you know who John Hinckley Jr. is is because he tried to kill the president and because he permanently maimed the president's press secretary, James Brady. And now, John Hinckley Jr. is set to perform at the Market Hotel in Brooklyn as a musician in a sold-out show. This show in Brooklyn is sold out. And... As best I can tell, Hinckley himself is keeping the money for this. He's getting paid, and he's going to take this. He take the stage. I don't know what the date is, but it's a one-hour show. Oh, it's July eighth. Okay, and no, it's it's a show prime time, seven p.m. on July eighth. They're calling this the John Hinckley Redemption Tour, and there were also supposed to be appearances in Connecticut and Chicago. Those appearances have been canceled. But here's my issue with this. And I'm not saying this because he tried to assassinate President Reagan or because he tried to kill James Brady. I would be saying this if he tried to kill anybody. But especially for reasons so bizarre and unhealthy as to impress a movie star. John Hinckley is about to make a whole lot of money. How much? I don't know. He's about to make a whole lot of money as a musician of people that are going to see him, not because he's this great musician, but he's about to make a whole bunch of money as a musician because he's developed all this notoriety from trying to kill a president. And I don't think that's right. You know, the whole premise of the son of Sam law is that you should not be able to profit from your crimes. And look, it might've taken John Hinckley 40 years here, but Hinckley is about to profit from his crimes. Here's a man. The only reason he's famous or infamous, the only reason the world knows who he is. The only reason anybody's following him on Twitter. The only reason anyone's following his YouTube channel is because he tried to kill a president and he's about to make a whole bunch of money In an era where, you know, I I have friends and relatives that are musicians. It is tough to make a living as a musician. It's tough to get booked in a a hip Brooklyn venue like this for a live show, let alone to sell it out. The only reason he's able to do this 
is because he was insane enough. That's not my determination. That's the court's determination and his doctor's determination and his own claim is because he was insane enough to try to kill someone. Here's what's wor- here's what worries me, though. I don't think John Hinckley's going to hurt anybody again. Here's what really worries me. I worry that a 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old musician, artist, actor, comedian, aspiring radio talk show host, podcaster, whatever, author, novelist, whatever, I worry that they're going to see this and say, oh, my goodness, this could be my big break. All I need is a greater market for my music. All I need is a broader platform for my art. All I need is people to know who I am and discover my comedy. And then I'll be a big star. Okay, maybe I'll have to go to a mental hospital for 20 or 30 years or 40 years, but then I'll be able to play the sold-out shows in places like Brooklyn and do a Frank Morano redemption tour. And I am very concerned, honestly, and this is not shtick, this is not hyperbole, I am very concerned that people that might be a little mentally off-balanced are going to do something crazy and violent Because they see, in the long run, it's worked for John Hinckley. And I don't like this at all. And and I think you know, if you've listened to me, and you know how many friends I've had in prison, and you know how many listeners that I've had in prison, and how many people that uh, I've had on this radio show who've either been in prison or who've been disgraced in some way, or, uh, in fact, I interviewed an airplane hijacker who was found not guilty due to temporary insanity. And I found him to be delightful. But you know what? That that fellow's name is Aaron Comey. You know what Aaron Comey's not doing? In fact, maybe I'll invite Aaron Comey on next week to talk about this. I've got to write a note to myself. I've got to get a pen. Um, Aaron Comey is not using the fact that he tried to hijack an airplane in order to get rich. And that's what John Hinckley is going to do. And my fear is that this sets a dangerous precedent And it creates a dangerous playbook for future mentally ill artists. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. You know what? Maybe you could convince me that I'm all wet. Because I would love that. If you say, Frank, you're not right. Here's why. No one's going to do this because of X. No one's going to do this because of Y. It's a different and unique case with Hinckley because of Z. I would love to be convinced of that. Because... I have a lot of concerns about mental illness. I have a lot of concerns about getting people help who have mental illness. I think severe mental illness is one of the things that is horribly misdiagnosed and mistreated in our society. But I also don't think rewarding someone who tries to kill a president is the best way to treat mental illness. Tell me what you think. 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. We're having mystery guest day. I don't know how many guests are going to be on. I don't know when they're coming on, but um, and I don't know who they are. Uh, That's uh, up to Matt, Alex Barnard, and Jennifer. We'll see who they've come up with, hopefully some interesting people. Let me begin with Marlon in Brooklyn, who has been patiently holding. Hello, Marlon. 
Oh, hey, Frank. How you doing again, man? This is my second time. Oh, well, uh, hopefully the second time goes as well as the first. Brother, it's going to be great. Um, yeah, I'd say uh, one question to you, uh, and, and I just, like, I was listening to you riff right there, so I wanted to know, did Hinckley kill anybody? No. No. Um, well, I mean, uh, the, the short answer is no, uh, because, I mean, uh, Brady died in 2016. Uh, James Brady um, probably would not have died in 2016 if Hinckley's bullet was still not in him. Oh, excuse me, 2014 he died. He died at the age of, um, uh, you know, I, I guess he was about 70 or so or a couple of years older than 70. So he was 70, 73 when he died. And um, but no, he did not kill. Um, now, Brady's death. It was interesting. Brady's he was shot in 1981. But Brady's death in 2014 was ruled a homicide caused by the gunshot wound that he received 33 years earlier. So I guess you could say yes, but not uh, not legally. Frank, I got to go on record and say I feel like that's pushing it. But I would say. I do feel like there's something to do with, um, you know, like, I mean, prison is prison, man. You get sentenced and uh, you do your time. And technically speaking, it is supposed to be a real rehabilitation. Right, so we're going to go on. Marlon, he, never, he, he never went to prison. Hickley never went to prison? No. He was declared not guilty by reason of insanity. So that, that's. Oh, oh, yeah. that, so he that, went to it. So he went. So he went to an asylum for how long? He was treated uh, for psychiatric care for about 30 years. 30 years in, in like, a facility that might as well be, like, what, what you were describing as, like, one from the Cooper. Well, system, I, right? I, don't, I don't know the details of his care, honestly. I mean, I feel like that's also a rehabilitation platform, and I feel like if you're going to do that, you, you know, you do your you do your crime, you do your time, and then like you're, uh, you know, you're welcome back into society. Personally, well, uh, that is now, Marlon, technically working. I'm all about that. I'm all about, um, you know, uh, I'm all about giving people second and third, fourth and fifth chances. I'm all about yeah. once people have paid their due. I, you know, I'm friends with with mob bosses who who uh, have paid their dues. Right. Now, but here's my issue. My issue is that he's essentially going to be rewarded with wealth and fame as a musician because he was mentally ill enough to kill to try to kill a president. And my concern is that this says to an 18 or 19 year old off balance musician or artist, oh, all I have to do to call attention to my art is try to kill someone. Well, maybe not someone, but the president. Right. Well, a president. Although we've seen a lot of people get attention for other things. Sorry, Marlon? Hypothetically, these days might not be so bad. Oh, no. No, no, no. No, 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 no. We don't want to. We don't want to. We don't even even want to joke about that. I don't care what you think about uh, President Reagan or President Biden or President Trump or President Obama or President Carter or President Bush. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest Reagan fan in the world, but uh, you you can't even joke about about killing a president. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's funny at all. And I and I'm a guy that likes to joke about everything, but uh, I don't think that's uh, that's something to be joked about at all. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Let me say hello to Gina in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. Hi, Frank. 
Thanks. First, I want to say I'm so happy that you're home safe because after hearing Curtis, we thought you were getting jacked up in Hawaii. So I'm glad you had a safe trip home. Thank you very much, Jean. Appreciate it. And is do we know is Hinkley a good a good enough musician to command an audience a second time? I mean, he might bomb out, and then you'll never hear him about you know about him again. Well, I, I don't know. I, he does have a YouTube channel, which I, I have to say I haven't gone on to because I sort of don't want to add to the hits. Uh, I don't want to be a part of his YouTube channel becoming this big phenom because I'm going on to it out of curiosity. Uh, so I don't know. It's the same reason I don't really follow O.J. Simpson on, on Twitter. It's a good question. I don't know. I'm sure he's decent, right? I mean, but I think there are probably a lot of other musicians who – are better that you've never heard of because they've never tried to kill a president. You know, it reminds me, I don't want to give too much away from this film if um, if you've never seen it, but The King of Comedy with Robert De Niro as Rupert Pupkin. And Rupert Pupkin just dreams of being a famous comedian and a talk show host. That's all he wants to do. And he takes some drastic steps in order to make that a reality. And I don't want to spoil any of the film for you, but... This seems straight out of this Rupert Pupkin playbook is you do something crazy in the hopes that you have to pay your dues, either in a psychiatric facility or in a prison. And then you come out and look, you're a star. 800-848-9222. Frank is in Babylon. Hello, Frank. Hi, good morning. Morning. Um, Yes, I'm uh, I'm on board with you 100%. I couldn't believe the news when I heard it. I thought it was some sort of prank that this, you know, this could actually happen. Someone, you know, Hinkley coming, getting out of jail and, and, and uh, in the first place even being released, no less getting on a stage and performing. But um, what the, I, was, I just wanted to mention that the, uh, there's another casualty in, in the attempt was Tim McCarthy was a, was a Secret Service agent that took a bullet in the stomach that, Potentially could have killed Reagan if he didn't block it or use his body as yeah, a, that's as a good a, point. Shield. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a good point. And um, he's a federal officer, and uh, you know, I mean, this is just another slight. Of course, James Brady is, is mentioned. Of course, the president himself. But how does somebody get out of prison? You know, uh, after 30 years having done these things to perform on a stage and and be a musician or an entertainer of any kind, and also what you mentioned about this being an, an, a possible catalyst for, for you know, people on the edge or uh, you know, with men- mentally disturbed, in order to become famous, if they want to have these starstruck aspirations. Isn't um, that case with uh, Jesse Smollett similar in some respect? Because didn't he didn't he um, he like concocted a story? I mean, he didn't hurt anybody else, but he concocted a story of himself being beat up because on a racial on a racial type of thing to further his career. Yeah, I think, well, again, I want to say one thing just to, again, correct the record uh, because you used the term prison a couple of times. Hinckley was never in prison, uh, didn't, didn't do any time in prison. 
Uh, yeah, I think the Smollett situation is similar, but it's a little it's a little different. So I think Smollett did stage that incident, that supposed hate crime against himself and then made false police reports about it for publicity. Now, I've done I've known a lot of people that have done that. My friend Bobby staged his own kidnapping um, for reasons that are still a mystery to me. Uh, Curtis Lewa uh, staged his own kidnapping for publicity. But in the case of Smollett or Curtis, they didn't do that because they were mentally ill. They did that because they were seeking publicity. Um, now, uh, you're right. If Smollett gets, um, you know, if he becomes an even bigger star now in a year or two years, yeah, I think that's going to send the same message that um, if you want to get ahead as, a, as, a, as an actor, all you have to do is get caught faking a crime. And if you're willing to go through the, the you know, roll the dice at the criminal justice system, we'll see what happens. But it's a good point, Frank. Thanks for the, thanks for the call. Uh, we're going to continue your calls in a minute. Matt, do we have a guest next? Do you know? Not next. No, okay. Um, it, we'll continue with your calls next. I have a few other things that we'll get to as well. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. It's Mystery Day here on the other side of midnight. If uh, you want to know who's coming into the coming on the show, talk to, uh, you know, talk to our illustrious call screener, Ryan. Maybe he'll tell you. Maybe you'll give me a hint. 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. Frank Marano. 77 WABC. I know this wasn't on my list, was it? This was one of yours, yeah. Okay. Um, NSYNC, I get all those boy bands confused. This song's not bad. It's kind of catchy. Uh, there's NSYNC, there's the Backstreet Boys, and there's 98 Degrees. Honestly, I don't know who, you know, which one was which, and I don't know which song belongs to which band. I know, um, I, know who jo- I know who some of them are. I know who Justin Timberlake is, for instance. Which one was he? Was he NSYNC? Yes. So that's him. Lead, lead singer. Yeah. This is him. Then. Yes. See, you know, I tell you, he is very talented. I actually think as an actor and singer, because I've heard some of his solo songs, I actually think he is, and I know people are going to think I'm crazy when I say this, I think there's a strong case to be made that if you look at the success that he's had in such a variety of different mediums, there's a case to be made that... Um, he is this generation's Elvis or Frank Sinatra. I mean that. I really do. I think he is really something, a real talent. And I guess he, uh, people saw it early on when they took to this uh, took to this song. Hey, by the way, speaking of entertainment, you know what movie people just can't seem to get enough of? This new Top Gun film. 
Top Gun Maverick, it is doing great. First of all, it's a sequel to a film that came out in 1986. What year is it now? It's now 2022. So 36 years later, right? 36, yeah. So 36 years later, that's amazing. Now, it's already grossed $300 million in this country, and it's already become Tom Cruise's top moneymaker of all time. Now, you think about that. A guy with the the kind of hits that Tom Cruise has had. Uh, You have films like Rain Man, The Firm, the Mission Impossible film. And uh, a whole bunch of other Vanilla Sky, a bunch of others. And to have him do this film, first of all, he's not really the age of what you consider, con, consider to be a typical block, block, uh, box office superstar. He's 60 years old now. Um, and for them to make a sequel to a film 36 years later is really something. Uh, I so, I I think we're going to see it. I don't know when. I don't know we're going to ha- when we're going to have a chance to get to the movies. But I'm curious if people have seen it, if it's worth seeing. Uh, because so far I haven't heard any negative reviews about this, which is pretty rare. Rare. So you know I love that whenever there's a sequel that comes out a long time later, and it does well. The, the Color of Money was a sequel to. Um, The Hustler with Paul Newman in both roles. Very different type of film, but it was a sequel, and I think it came out like 26 years later. I thought that was a long time, but this is a decade longer than that. I know Evening Star was a sequel to Terms of Endearment that came out a long time after that. Godfather Part Three came out, I guess, what almost 20 years after Godfather Two. I don't know that we've seen this. A direct sequel come out 36 years later. And you know what story I did enjoy? And then we'll get back to your Hinkley. Um, We'll get back to your Hinkley calls in just a second or whatever else you want to comment on. We're kind of playing fast and loose today because it's mystery day. 800-848-WABC. There was a fella by the name of Matt Patches. And I, I give this guy credit. And he's the... Senior entertainment editor at Polygon. And on the evening of October 26th, 2010, this is what Matt Patches tweeted. And this is why social media gets you in trouble, folks. You got to be careful with social media. Because if Matt Patches had a radio show and he had just done this on the radio, people would have forgotten about it. But he tweeted it. October 26th, 2010, Matt Patches tweeted, If Top Gun 2 happens... I will eat a shoe. That's what he said. And uh, because of all the delays in this film supposedly coming to be. And so now he's been forced to not only eat his words, but to eat a shoe. Now that Top Gun Maverick is out marveling critics, Matt Patches took the loss with a lot of grace by doing this 20-minute skit on video, on social media, all about how to eat a shoe. Now, he doesn't actually go ahead and eat the shoe, but he has some fun with it, and 
And at least he acknowledges how wrong he was. That's very, very interesting. The other thing that's interesting is there's now this big lawsuit about this. Maybe you heard about this, that the studio Paramount that's behind this blockbuster film, Top Gun Maverick, is facing a lawsuit over copyright infringement. So in this suit that's been filed against Paramount, the family of the author whose article inspired the original film said the studio failed to reacquire the rights. So the family is claiming that the film was finished after they reclaimed the article's copyright in January of 2020. So this would obviously be after January of 2020. So we'll see. Paramount obviously is telling a different story, and uh, we'll see where, where it actually goes. If I remember correctly, the original basis for the Top Gun character is Randy Duke Cunningham, the congressman who went to prison for corruption, and then he was pardoned. He was uh, he w- he he was named, I think, the most corrupt member of Congress, and then I think he was par- yeah he was pardoned by uh, President Trump, and uh, I haven't heard him interviewed yet talking about this film, so maybe we'll reach out to him as well and see if he's seen the film. I'm going to put him on my list. And then maybe after, uh, now that he's redeemed, maybe after John Hinckley gets done performing in Brooklyn, maybe Randy Duke Cunningham has some talent he'd like to be putting out there. You were talking about sequels. Mm-hmm. There's another sequel that was even longer. Uh, the Shining. There was a sequel to The Shining called Dr. Sleep that came out in 2019. The Shining came out in 1980. Well, so that I don't I didn't even know about that. I knew there was a remake of the sequel. I, I so Doctor Sleep was a film? Yeah, Doctor Sleep was a book that Stephen King wrote in 2013 huh. and then they made a movie of it and it was like like a sequel to The Shining. So that's about 40 years also. Yeah. Okay, so uh, did you see that? Doctor Sleep, yeah. How is it? It's all right. I wouldn't say it was great. But, I mean, I like The Shining, so it's one of those movies that you just have to see right. if you're a fan of The Shining. Right. right, yeah. See, I mean, when it comes to Top Gun, I like Top Gun, but I don't love Top Gun. I don't need right. to run to the theaters just because something puts Top Gun in its name. Now, if there was a, a Mel Brooks movie, like if there was a Spaceballs sequel. History of the World Part 2? Yeah, right. Still or, waiting for right. it? Spaceballs Part 3, The Search for 2. You know, I'd love to go out and uh, and see that. Hey, um... The have you seen this Top Gun film? I have not. What about you, Ryan? Have you seen it? I have not. No, and Alex, what about you? No, and so nobody here has seen it. We're not part of the three hundred million dollar domestic total, but people are interested in this. My wife, we haven't gone to the movies since this Sopranos prequel was out, and um, and I like going to the movies. It's just try and find me the time. It's just uh, tough. So yesterday, my wife's going through the news and everything, and she says, "Oh, I think we may have to see this Top Gun." Today, where I guess, you know, two days ago she said that. And then yesterday, I get an SMS text message from my sister to my wife, me, and one of our siblings. Hey, do you want to go see Top Gun at XYZ Theater in Brooklyn? And uh, my sister Claudia says, no, let's see it on Staten Island. And, uh, you know, my um, brother's girlfriend Marley says, no, it's sold out there. So people are really into this. And I wish I knew kind of the secret sauce as to what makes people care about this film, this Top Gun sequel, versus other sequels, like that Shining sequel. I would have thought that would have been a bigger deal. I, didn't, I don't remember hearing anything about that. 
I was busy with other things at the time. Hey, uh, speaking of entertainment, the other thing, and you no need to call about this. I mean, you can call if you want. I have no idea if we have four guests today, five, zero, or one. But if um, I'm curious if that show, The Offer, on Paramount Plus is worth watching. It's about the making of The Godfather. As you know, I'm really into The Godfather. And I watched the first five minutes of it, but I was distracted. My Uncle Steve was over, and my Uncle Steve was doing his best to distract me. And, you know, my son was was running around. So I saw the first five minutes of it. I was interested in it, but I, I didn't I wasn't sure if it was good enough for me to commit to watching. That's getting pretty good reviews from what I have seen. And now that we've finished Billions and we finished uh, Better Call Saul, I, I'm done with television for a while. Um, so I do have to see that, although I'm still watching Ozark. But there's this couple that I've entered into this agreement with to watch Ozark with in concert with them. So I have to kind of wait until they're ready to go forward with that. The other thing, and this is the last entertainment thing I'll mention, the other thing that I thought was interesting was I heard nothing about the MTV Movie Awards taking place last weekend. I saw some coverage of it yesterday. I love the MTV Movie Awards. I've always loved it, and I would have watched it if I knew that it was going to be on on Sunday, especially being in Hawaii. I probably... uh, it was probably an opportune time for me to watch it. And I didn't hear anything about it. I feel like maybe that's an award show that's just sort of lost its luster. Lost, lost its luster. All right, 800-848-9222. You want to comment on Hinckley, Top Gun, The Offer, The Shining, anything, you know, the MTV Movie Awards, you name it. The concept of Mystery Guest Day, whatever. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Joe in Lawrence Township. Hello, Joe. Hello. Um, a great show, as usual, Frank. Thanks. Um, and I hope your mystery guest is not John Hinckley tonight. So, well, I would actually like that. I, I have some questions for John Hinckley. <laughs> well, I, my question to you is, uh, the thing that we're talking about is John Hinckley, but... What I find more intriguing is God's name is in that audience that's spending the money and the time to go see a guy who named this Brady, who was such a terrific guy, named him, uh, almost killed our president, you know, shot a Secret Service guy in the stomach. Who are the folks that are sitting in that audience? I'd be more wary of them than Hinckley at this point. You know, that's, that's a th- th- that's a great point, Joe. And I, I don't – so you you do you think that the people that might go to see a show like that – are folks that have some sort of fetish for violence? I just think I, there's always been the Gigi Allen sort of fans, if you remember that guy. There's always been people that like to see fringe entertainment. But I'm with you. I, I wouldn't give a dime for somebody that maimed a guy who had to live the rest of his life with a bullet still in him that couldn't walk, that changed the, the direction of his entire life. I, and that's just one of the three people that he hurt. I, I wouldn't even spend two seconds giving him the time of day. I don't care what kind of um, fixing his brain took over those 30 or 40 years. The fact is, is that he, he almost killed our president, for crying out loud, and it's really not somebody that I'd want to spend a dime on at all. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So why those oh, – I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to overstep. No, 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 please, go ahead. I just don't understand, I just don't understand the audience because, to me, it must be – it's either fascination with the, the oddities of life to go in and see this guy, or they generally like his music. From no, nah, nah, well, well, Joe, and thanks for the call. They may like his music, but they wouldn't have even heard his music if his name was John 
John uh, Hubert. I mean, forget it. I mean, they wouldn't even know who John Hinckley's. They would never know what John Hinckley's music sounds like unless he killed a president. And that's and again, that's where I'm coming down on. I'm concerned not about John Hinckley. I'm concerned that this sets a playbook. You know, I have always my whole life. I've only wanted to be a radio talk show host or something like this, you know. And so I would study the careers of everybody that I listened to in radio. And then when I got to be a little older, you know, a teenager in my early 20s, I reached out directly to all of my favorite talk show hosts and asked them essentially about their path to becoming a talk show host. And there's no one way to do it. There's a bunch of different ways. But I would take it all in and I would say, oh, maybe I can emulate this from this person. Maybe I can emulate that from that person. Maybe I can do this like that person did. I'm concerned that an aspiring musician who's been struggling for years may look at this and see this as their ticket to fame in 30 years. And I think that's the dangerous aspect of it, is are we creating more Hinkley's by going to see this guy's show? 800-848-WABC, that's uh, 1-800-848-9222. Joe is in Bedford. Hello, Joe. Yes, thanks. First, congratulations on one of the most reasonable shows and one of the nicest people to have one. So, Oh, well, that's nice of you, Joe. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. I love the show, and uh, it's hard for me to get most of it because I'm, I'm an early riser. So when I saw the show, the movie was packed. I saw it in Ridgefield, Connecticut, and I said, what is this? And then I started to reflect, and maybe it was promoted in a superior way. But I made a list for my friends of 10 things they liked in movies, you know, Ball of the Wind or Military. The amazing thing about this film is it took 10,000 people to produce it, and I'm the only one that stayed in the theater for the last 10 minutes to show what everybody did. And it's fascinating to see what it took to put this film together. A lot of the uh, scenes, they have, they have to do with everything. Romance, there's a teenage girl in it. There's a conflict where there's a question of who will have the integrity to do what they believe in. There's aircraft carrier scenes that will blow your mind that I'm not a military guy. There are scenes with Tomahawk missiles and avoiding and evading them, how you do it with the enemy. It just went on and on. Every 10 minutes, there was something else that would grab you, and you wanted to know the resolution. You just had to. So I'll see it again. You know, It's a little noisy. That's the only thing. Yeah, uh, well, I can imagine. Uh, I mean, most films that have to do with fighter planes, I would think, I would think are. Uh, all right, well, so I feel pretty good about seeing it. 800-848-WABC. Hey, my buddy Dr. Mason Pimler is uh, calling in. He is uh, a bright guy in a whole host of areas. Mason, how are you, my friend? Good, good. Welcome back, Frank. It's gl- I'm glad to have you back on the radio. I'm being up late. I missed you dearly. Thank you. I, um, I think the thing with Hinckley, and tell me if I'm wrong, because you're very intelligent and cogent in the way you put things, and I was thinking, it. I think it's because of the nature of the crime. Maybe you might have less of a problem if someone benefited, did something else, became a musician, but the nature of the crime was pretty severe. It really was. Um, and I have a question for you, I'm ready. because you know, why um, 
with Hinckley when James Brady died, right? He passed away, and they tied it to the bullet. Even though he was insane at the time, he shot the bullet, and then they rehabilitated. Why didn't they bring murder charges at that time? Well, it's a great question, and it's one that, uh, you know, again, I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding of why no, they didn't. you're very good at that. Well, well, thank you. I looked into this at the time, and my understanding of why they didn't, and if there are lawyers listening, they can correct me if I say anything that's inaccurate. My understanding of why they didn't is because of, the, of something called the year and a day rule. And the way um, oh. the way murder tra- charges work is if someone dies because of an injury that you've caused to them, uh, be it an assault, be it a bullet wound, be it a stab wound, they have a year and a day to die for you to be charged with with homicide for their death. If it takes them longer to die because of that, then uh, generally, it, I guess it depends on state to state and varying jurisdictions. Then um, they they won't won't charge you, even if it's your actions that have caused that person's death. That makes sense. Then then that's it. Then that, that it's like a statute or limitations. Again, of yeah. Action. And again, maybe uh, I'm sure that was an oversimplification on my part. Somebody I'm sure will call in and correct me. No, I'm going to look it up. Anyway, we'll, we'll speak. Try to make Friday or Saturday for dinner if you can. Uh, absolutely, great. Mason. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frankie. Three things. Number one. Number one. Uh, I don't know the exact year to day rule, but there's no statute of limitations on, uh, on murder. No, no. I didn't say there was. But that means if um, if someone's murdered 50 years ago, you can still prosecute them uh, today, but uh, not if it took them a year and a day to die from their injuries. Well, I, I, I never heard of that, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, uh, Top Gun, my son saw it, and he loved it, absolutely loved it. But when you said the theater is sold out, to me that sounds like a super spreader event. I, I certainly wouldn't go to a theater that's sold out uh, with people on top of each other. And the, the last thing I'll say is, wouldn't it be unusual – if somebody tried to take a shot at Hinckley while he was doing uh, his performance in New York City, the guy would get a desk appearance ticket and just <laughs> walk out into the sunset and never be prosecuted. Yeah, well, hopefully that doesn't happen either. 800-848-WABC. Jacqueline is in Brooklyn. Hello, Jacqueline. Good morning, Frank. Morning. I think you make some very good points, uh, several good points with regard to Hinckley. He shouldn't be able to profit for this. It's a, a very uh, gray area, a fine line. And uh, you also made a very good point that it could, in quotes, inspire others. You know, kind of a, a long-term plan, if you want to call it that. But uh, I wouldn't put it past some people. And I have a question for you. Yes. Since he's over 25 and since this uh, performance of his is going to be in Brooklyn in the state of New York – and since he, quote-unquote, has been healed of his mental illness and he's no longer mentally ill, would he be able to purchase an AR-15? You know, uh, it's an excellent question. So I don't know where he, what his state of residence is, uh, but my understanding is he would not have been able to purchase a gun of any type, any kind of a firearm, until a week ago, right? But now that his restrictions were unconditionally released uh, last week. Now my understanding is he has all the rights to purchase a firearm that anybody else 
uh, does. That's my That's understanding. Like he, yeah, he didn't. He would not have. There was a restriction that prevented him from uh, from purchasing a gun while there was any sort of restrictions on him. But uh, as I read this now, I don't think there is any restrictions right. on him purchasing a firearm. Right. And I don't understand how someone is healed of their mental illness. I've never this is the first time I've ever heard of such a thing. Well, that's what I said. That's what I started the discussion with. I said, whoever his psychiatrists are, these guys have to be the greatest psychiatrists in the history of mental mental health. So. um, So, yeah, I think you're right, Jacqueline. Thank you. But, yeah, so it was federal statute 18 U.S. Code 921, Section A, subsection 20 that prohibited. Hinkley from receiving or possessing firearms under federal law. But it looks to me like now he could purchase a firearm. To me, no restrictions means no restrictions. We'll continue with the call, calls in a minute. 800-848-9222. Uh, that's 1-800-848-WABC. Um, the great Obi Murray sent me an SMS text message. He was wanting to know when these mystery guests were going to be coming on because I guess people want to it's like watching a um, you know a, a fire you know watching a, a car accident right watching a car crash you want to see how much i'm floundering i'm in at least in alex barnard's original uh rundown of the show he included internally that one is going to be on at 3 30 i don't know if there are going to be others on before that or after that so there will be at least one mystery guest on at 3 30 i'm not sure what else we're in store for beyond that. But every time the phone rings, it's a mystery guest. There's one, two, three, four, five phone lines open for mystery callers of all types. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. And if you're ever curious about the kind of music we play on this program as bumper music, then uh, you can join the Facebook group and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. It's also meant to be sort of a discussion group about the subjects that we cover on this radio program. And uh, you're certainly welcome to offer your contributions. You know, I'll tell you. I don't think anybody has more phone problems than me. And it's a very funny thing. In when I was in Hawaii, I was trying to talk to my wife and and a couple of other people that were in uh, Maui about what what, you know, we were doing and this and that. And it was the strangest thing. They could hear me, but I couldn't hear them. And their it when I when they would talk and from the receiver end of things, it sounded like they were muffled. It sounded as if I could hear that they were trying to say something, but I couldn't quite make out what they were trying to say. So I would restart my phone, nothing. Restart my phone, nothing. And look, I, I've had all sorts of phone problems. For some reason, it keeps going into this mode. I think it's called talkback mode. 
where it's a mode that's meant for a blind person. And I'm sure it works great for blind people, but for those of us that can see, it's very challenging to use. So I, I have agreed to get one of these, one, a new phone. Now, my phone is working again, which makes it even more perplexing. Why did it make it so that I couldn't hear anybody and everyone saw it? And to all of a sudden, it would, it's working normally now. I, I still don't understand. But it's still just, it is old. I've had this for about five years, at least four years, which in phone terms is like 30 years for everything else. So it's probably time for me to get a new mobile phone. But I was saying to my wife, all right, you know, I, I'm, I have to wait till I get paid again. But um, I'll go and get a new phone. I'll go to the store. I'll see what they have to offer. And she said, you don't have to go to a store. You could just purchase a new mobile phone online. I said, you can? Who would do that? Isn't that like buying a car online? Would you ever buy a car online? Don't you want to kind of test drive it and see what it has to offer? And she said, no, that's what everybody does. They buy phones online. So this is new to me. I don't know if any of you do this. Buy mobile phones online rather than go to the store. And I mean, I don't know why I, I'm so married to the concept of going to the store because every single time I've tried to buy a phone, how long have people had phones? Last 22 years or so, right? So at least me, I've had it to last 23 years. So here's what happens every time I go into the store. I said, all right, well, I'm ready for a new phone. They type in my account number, and they said, all right, well, here's the perfect phone for you. And inevitably, they'll show me whatever the most expensive non-iPhone is. And then they'll convince me somehow that that's the phone I need to have. And, of course, I purchase it every time because I am the world's worst consumer. I will purchase anything from anybody if they ask. That's it. I'm the guy. You read it in the New York Post. I'm prepared to bid up to $3,500 for the digital Godfather house. So I'll tell you, they say sucker born every minute. Hey, uh, we'll give you an update on the debate last night and the primaries yesterday. Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This was The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Yesterday was the first debate in the Democratic primary contest for governor of New York that included Governor Kathy Hochul. They had one debate on New York One that did not include Hochul, but obviously Hochul is the incumbent and the front runner. So this is obviously the one that has gotten the most attention. I'll bring you highlights of this in just a moment. Uh, if you're just tuning in, it is Mystery Day. We, I don't know who the guests are going to be today. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I don't know what time we're, they're going to be on. And we thought this would be kind of fun. And uh, the guest booking has been handled by Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, and uh, Jennifer Grodd. Matt, are you in a position to say if there are any guests this hour? I can tell you, as far as I know, there is not a guest this hour. I see. As far as I know. I feel like this the mystery, I don't know. mystery day is becoming a little anticlimactic so far. I feel well, like you guys didn't put that much effort in. 
well, you never know. That's right. I do never know. Who knows? Maybe uh, maybe Mel Brooks will walk in here next hour. All right. Uh, meantime, so I watched most of this debate on uh, Channel Two yesterday, and I thought it was I thought it was interesting. First of all, the Democratic primary debate is pre- is pretty important, even if you're not a Democrat, and I'm not a Democrat. I don't get to vote in this primary, but it's pretty important because whoever wins this primary coming up uh, on June 28th, I believe. Whoever wins this primary is very likely to win the election because New York is still an overwhelmingly Democratic state. So if you have the Democratic nomination in a statewide election, then you're the you're not the presumptive favorite, but you're the prohibitive favorite to win the election. So that's why everybody should care who emerges as this Democratic nominee. And so I say I watched about 70 to 80 percent of it, and I wanted to watch it all, but I got a phone call at the beginning of it, and it was kind of an important phone call, so I couldn't say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm watching, I'm watching television. <laughs> I can't talk to you now. Call later. So I had to take the phone call. But then I watched the debate, and then towards the end of it, uh, my son Carmine was getting a little cranky, and I wanted to put him to bed, and my wife was, um, was, was busy. She was working. So I, I put him to bed, and I missed like maybe 10 minutes. So I missed maybe 15 minutes at the beginning and 10 minutes towards the end. So I saw, I'd say, about 70% of it. This, these were my impressions. I'm going to play you some audio. Here were my impressions of the three candidates in this debate. All of them clearly know the issues very well. Jamani Williams, who still has not accepted my invitation to appear on this show, Jamani Williams struck me as someone who is very sincere, very genuine, very honest, and he's someone that I happen to disagree with on almost everything. He's someone that I disagree with on 80% of the issues, I'll say, 75% of the issues. There were a couple issues he mentioned which I, I did find myself nodding. But I don't think I could ever vote for Jamani Williams because of where he is on a whole bunch of different issues. But I, Jamani Williams, yesterday and in every previous time I've ever heard him speak, struck me as somebody with a lot of character, who's very honest, who put his record out there, who put his beliefs out there, and he says, this is who I am, this is what I'm running on, vote for me, don't vote for me. He didn't try to beat around the bush at all. I tell you, then I'm watching Congressman Tom Swazi. And I found myself agreeing with just about everything this guy said. I thought his performance was outstanding. (laughs) I agreed. There were a few areas where I disagreed with him, but I found myself agreeing with him on about 80 percent of what he was saying. I thought he he was the candidate after watching this debate that I would most enthusiastically vote for if I could vote in the Democratic primary. I thought he was great. I thought he was great in terms of issues. I thought he was great in terms of messaging. I thought he was great in terms of pointing out one of his opponent's flaws. I thought he came across as likable. I thought he came across as honest as well. So I thought Swazi, I thought he hit it out of the park, but that's because I happen to agree with him more. If you agree with Jamani Williams more, you'd think Jamani Williams hit it out of the park. And then there's Governor Kathy Hochul. I got to tell you, She came across as clearly very intelligent, which she is. 
She came across as very well-spoken, which she is. She came across as a nice lady, which I think she is. She came across as the biggest phony that I have ever seen in politics. I'll tell you, I watched an hour of her in this debate, and I didn't get the sense that she was honest about anything. I got the sense that every response that she gave was poll tested, which wasn't nothing was really a reflection of her true beliefs. It was just a reflection of what she thinks she has to say in order to get the most votes. She came across to me and maybe this she gets this from her former running mate, Governor Andrew Cuomo. She came across to me as the biggest phony in the world. And I, I have to tell you, I. If I were a Democrat or a Republican or whatever, I would never vote for Kathy Hochul. She came across to me as phony as a $3 bill. I don't know what your impressions of the debate were, but you're welcome to give me your thoughts. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Obviously, with guns being such a big issue now, that was a big focus of this debate because Governor Kathy Hochul just signed this recent gun control measure. Congressman Tom Swazi on gun control in general and the recent gun control push in New York State. I 100% support giving judges the discretion to consider dangerousness of the defendants who come before them, as you mentioned, Marsha, the same as it is in 49 other states in the United States of America. The governor says she cares about crime, she wants to address crime, but she does nothing to fix bail reform. Uh, It's hard to imagine... Uh, that this governor can continue to say that she cares about crime, but 69% of New Yorkers say she's failing on crime. She says she jumps right in. Well, when it came to the Buffalo Bills Stadium, she got something done that nobody thought could get done. It's so unpopular. It's a billion dollars, the most lucrative deal in the history of the NFL. She got that done. She twisted arms. But when it came to bail reform, she didn't engage. When it came to so many other issues that are important to New Yorkers, like enforcing and implementing the red flag law, she didn't engage. It goes on and on with examples of where you can just talk about something, but it's very different to actually get something done. That's why it matters if you're a proven executive who has a proven record of getting things done. Jamani Williams on gun control. I have to remind folks, as you mentioned, it's in 49 other states. Many of those states have cities whose gun violence is worse than us. That's why you need a governor who has spent their life working on figuring out how to stop the gun violence. I'm proud of the leadership that we took. So you're against the dangerousness. But I want to be clear. I'm proud of the leadership that I took in the decade that the governor was supported by the NRA from 2012 to 2018 to help this city become the safest it has ever been. That research, that work that we've done is what I want to take to Albany. From Brooklyn to Buffalo, people are dealing with gun violence in a way that we haven't dealt with in a very long time. It's important to have someone that understands just the press conferences, like Andrew Cuomo did while people were dying due to the pandemic, will not stop people from dying. I'm tired of going from press conference to funeral. So that was basically the tone. And by the way, those first two responses weren't really about the gun control laws. It was more about taking into account uh, dangerousness as a condition of bail. But Uh, That was pretty much the tone for the whole debate. Swazi would attack her from the right. Williams would attack her to the left, from the left. And Hochul, as you can hear here, did whatever she could to avoid taking a position on anything. The purpose of the press conference gathering people was to take a pen and sign into law 10 bills 
that no one had ever undertaken before. You mentioned micro-stepping took a decade. I've been the governor for nine months. I got it done in record time. I made sure that we have resources to go to community violence disruption programs, tripling the amount of money so we can get at root causes, but also give the tools to law enforcement to do their jobs. Banning ghost guns, banning guns that defy description. You should see some of these weapons that we're seizing. And you know why we're seizing them? Because I told our state police to work for the first time ever with nine other states, put together a consortium, and stop the illegal guns from flowing from Georgia and Tennessee and Pennsylvania into our streets. Now, this was one issue that I was very eager to hear how Governor Hochul was going to address it. That was the issue of her first major decision as governor. One of the first things she did as governor was she uh, she appointed one of the most corrupt politicians in New York City as her lieutenant governor. I said so at the time. This was all public record. This was all out there. And she chose to select Brian Benjamin as lieutenant governor. And I was very curious to hear how she would handle this question. Let me talk about that lieutenant governor situation because it was very very disappointing to me that those charges were brought because we worked with the information we had at the time. And I promised the voters of New York and the people of the state that I would do everything I can to restore their faith in government. And that was a setback. But I have been able to build an incredible team, the most diverse, the most talented group of individuals, people like Catherine Garcia to lead our state operations, Dr. Mary Bassett, So I have put together a leadership team that is second to none, and it's mostly driven by women because they see the world very differently in a way that has not been part of a leadership team of this state in its history. So I'm proud of what we've done, and I know our new lieutenant governor, Antonio Delgado, is going to be an amazing partner leading this state forward for the years to come. That, to me, was an answer that was total nonsense. First of all, she's talking about putting women in leadership. Brian Benjamin's not a woman, and what is putting women in other key leadership positions have anything to do with selecting Brian Benjamin. Three, what good does your confidence in Antonio Delgado mean if you had that same confidence in Brian Benjamin? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Now, Congressman Tom Swazi, who, unlike the other two people who were on that stage, did actually come on this show And I'm still, by the way, open invitation for Governor Hochul or public advocate uh, Williams. But he has his own scandal. He has this whole House ethics probe regarding um, trades, regarding stock ownership. And this is how he addressed that during the debate. Every year I would file annual disclosures as required by the House. And my accountant discussed it with the House Ethics Committee every single year. After five years... They said you have to file periodic uh, transaction reports as well every 45 days after a trade. When they told us that, we did it. It's a paperwork thing. It's a paperwork error. The reality is we've corrected it, and we're moving forward uh, with this uh, on a going-forward basis. But this is nothing compared to a lieutenant governor getting arrested, a hand-picked lieutenant governor getting arrested for bribery and corruption. This is nothing compared to the Buffalo Bills deal, which was a secret deal that was not even gone through any single public hearing, despite the fact it's the largest giveaway of taxpayer dollars in the history of the NFL. The public advocate, Jamani Williams, did whatever he could to keep pivoting uh, back to Andrew Cuomo, namely tying Kathy Hochul to Andrew Cuomo. 
And uh, by the way, I do think the moderators for this debate did a great job. Marsha Kramer, I thought, was terrific. Uh, Maurice Dubois was, uh, I thought, very good. I thought they all did a great job, and they had another gentleman who had a couple of questions from uh, WCBS 880, but he did a good job as well. I thought Marsha Kramer especially was very impressive. Um, again, if you want to weigh in with your thoughts on the governor's race in general or the debate specifically, two open lines to do so, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Jemani Williams, again, invoking Andrew Cuomo. What I, what I wanted to say is when I began to run for governor, I was, I would, what I said was that if we're not careful, we're going to get more of what we got with former Governor Cuomo. Unfortunately, when we look at this budget, when we look at the legislative session, the question we should ask are the New Yorkers who need the most help better off, and they aren't. And that's because of how Albany works. And that's what I want to focus on as governor, to make sure the people who aren't housed, who are facing eviction, who are facing foreclosure, who do not have health care, who are dealing with real gun violence, can have a governor that understands how to really address those issues. Thank you. Now, obviously, in light of this Roe versus Wade draft opinion that's been circulating, where it appears the Supreme Court is going to be striking down Roe versus Wade, that's a tremendous gift to the Democrats. If ever there, uh, I mean, look, if the Republicans were going to be competitive in a statewide general election, they're obviously not going to be with a state as pro-choice as New York if they go with someone who's also anti-abortion, which Lee Zeldin is, and I believe Andrew Giuliani and uh, Rob Astorino are as well. But that's also an issue in the Democratic primary. So all three of the candidates really tried to stake out some territory on that issue, on the abortion issue and on Roe versus Wade specifically. This was Governor Hochul. We have put forth a plan in response to what we anticipate will be one of the most egregious Supreme Court decisions in the history of our nation. They've already telegraphed that they plan to overturn Roe v. Wade, something that was the fight of my mother's generation. And I sure didn't think it would have to be the fight of my new granddaughter's generation. So New York is going to stand firm in protecting women's rights here. The money we allocated from a, a fund in our Department of Health is to ramp up the services for New Yorkers, to make sure that we have services available for uh, hire more people to expand their space. We do anticipate people becoming, but we're not playing. We're not using taxpayer dollars to bring people here. That has been a that was an idea that was proposed in the legislature. We're simply helping our existing providers be ready. We already have people from Ohio traveling to Western New York to get services now because their laws are already more restrictive. So we need to be ready for them. But my job is to make sure that New York women are not denied these services that, as a woman, I take very seriously. Jumani. We, of course, have to make sure that women and pregnant people have an ability pregnant to have people. safe, accessible, and illegal abortion. That is our job to make sure that we protect New Yorkers. We also have to lead because the nation, as was mentioned, is going in the wrong direction. And so we have to use those funds to protect all people who need that service. I am disappointed that there were two women in the legislature, uh, women of more color, that had two bills that moved us further along reproductive justice. It was the Equality Amendment, and it was an equity fund. Unfortunately, those two things weren't passed. Those were the best ways to protect black and brown women and pregnant people. We couldn't get that pregnant across the finish people. line. When I'm governor, I'll make sure we do, so that the New Yorkers who need the most help, Americans who need the most help, we're the ones we protect. I, I don't understand that whole pregnant people thing. Are there a lot of pregnant men that are in need of abortions? Is that a is that a big issue that I'm unaware of? What, why why doesn't he just say pregnant women? 
pregnant people. I, mean, I guess that's now the trendy thing to do. Uh, and finally, <clears throat> Tom Swazi. Abortion must remain safe, legal, and accessible, and New York should be a leader for the rest of the country on this issue. Uh, I don't think there's any daylight between the three of us on this particular issue. Uh, I think that we should also be a leader here in New York State to try and prevent unintended pregnancies by educating people and by providing contraception so that we can prevent unintended pregnancies uh, from happening. Uh, the governor had a commercial out recently uh, where she made the topic abortion, and she said she was going to fight to get a constitutional amendment here in New York State. But she didn't put her weight behind it, and it didn't pass through the legislature during the legislative session, even though she was running a commercial saying that she would make a constitutional amendment uh, as part of this legislative session. So when the governor puts her mind to something, like the Buffalo Bills, she gets it done. But when it comes to bail reform, mayoral control, the other things she doesn't get done. I did like that Swazi kept going back to that bills issue because uh, it seemed like the public was so overwhelmingly against that, and it, it seems like I don't hear much about it. And I hope um, if Hochul does win the Democratic nomination, that whoever the Republican is makes that an issue in November as well. 800-848-WABC, uh, two open lines, 800-848-9222. But just to reiterate, I loved Swazi in this. I thought Jamani came across as very sincere, but not somebody that aligns with where most of my beliefs are. And I thought Hochul was as phony as a $3 bill, in all honesty. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. You know, they had this whole lightning round of questions. And I, I think the lightning round questions are kind of silly. But it does sometimes tell you a lot about people. And they asked the three candidates, what's one thing that you can't live without? And I have to be honest. I thought Swazi was the most honest in his response. He said, my phone. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Jamani Williams said theater. Really? Really? You can't live without theater? Um, Kathy Hochul said her Bible. Eh, really? Really? I mean, couldn't you read biblical text on your phone also? I mean, I get what she meant, but to me it just came across as pandering. 800-848-WABC. Pete is on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hey, Frank, when I heard you about picking out a cell phone, I got the same thing. I walk into one of those dealers, and I am just lost in what I – I send my daughter. She picks it out for me. So in 13 years, Carmine could go and pick it out for there you. Go. I mean, there you go. There you go. Maybe I'll see if I can hold okay. out 13, 13 more years. Yeah, I wanted to bring up – you just had a commercial run about 20 minutes ago, something about Frankie Russo, a uh, podcast. Did you hear it or uh, not? I, I was listening with half an ear, but, uh, yeah, it sounded to right. me like he's coming back in podcast form. Okay. Thank you, because I love you, and I love your show, and Carl, and Curtis, and uh, Rita Cosby, everybody, Dominic Carter, and Ed and Frankie back is a breath of fresh air to me, because I used to enjoy that show very, very much. Great. Well, yeah, so, no, thank, I, you. thank you, Pete. Uh, and... Um, uh, you know, WABC, it's really continuing to cement its reputation as a multi-platform content provider. We have all sorts of great radio programs. We have all sorts of great podcasts, and I guess Frankie Russo is going to be a part of that now. And we have all sorts of great digital content. If you go to WABCradio.com, a lot of great social media stuff as well. I've been doing 
this series of um, Instagram reels. And uh, Curtis has been doing some short-form Instagram video as well. So, yeah, I mean, we are not just a radio station anymore. We're still a radio station, but we're doing everything. And I guess uh, Frankie Russo is uh, is going to be a big part of that. 800-848-WABC. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. Hokel is weird looking. And Big Frank, welcome back. I know this audience feels I've been ignoring them, but I've been in big demand down the dial with all the sports. They want my commentary. Yeah, no, we appreciate you making some time for us. Right. I just, uh, first of all, with the phone, Frank, you got to get a 5G model. They're phasing out 4G. That's the whole thing. Your phone has to be a 5G model because if you're in a situation where you can't pick up 5G and 4G, your phone isn't going to work anymore because it's you don't have the backup. 5G is now the, the signal that's going out. 4G is the backup. If you have an older phone, certain areas won't work, folks. That's simple. Um, I just want to say something first about Andrew Cuomo. This is never mentioned. I mean, there's a million reasons why the left wanted him out of there. A guy like Jamani Williams is the future of New York. But his support, Andrew uh, Cuomo's support of Christopher Columbus, the hard left, hated him for that. The statue, the holidays, and they wanted him out of there, and they used any reason to get him out. And also, I would just like to make a, a point about the um, the thing with Hinckley. Hinckley um, was – they found him innocent because of insanity. We know that and stuff. We know that pres- the president had a bullet in his chest. The doctor had a hard time finding it. The thing with something like that, he shot four people. Hinckley is a nut, but you have to realize, folks, in this country – it's simple. It's a simple math equation. More people you have, the more lunatics you're going to have running around here. Unfortunately, the hard left is using this now with criminals, people who are psychologically impaired, drug addicts, letting them run wild in the streets to terrorize America. There is no future in New York, especially for young people. I'm telling you right now, listen to Steve, there's no future here for young people. Your future in New York, if you stay here, is to be a crime statistic. All right. Hey, uh, Steve, we'll, we'll let you hang on in case people have questions for you about your commentary. Uh, don't go anywhere. Steve from Manhattan will, will join me to address any questions to his comments there. 800-848-WABC. Don't hang up, Steve. Uh, Tom is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Tom. You're on with, uh, with Steve from Manhattan and me. Okay, gentlemen. Um Look, uh, Hinckley, he wasn't found guilty? What was he? He was found, found not guilty by reason of insanity. Okay, and what, what was he charged with then? He was charged with, uh, I believe it was attempted murder. Okay, so not murder, but attempted murder. Yes, correct. He was, okay, okay. Now, I, 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 there's a contradiction to me when you say um, there's no statute on murder, but they have a year and a day thing. That's a contradiction. Something was wrong there. Yeah, uh, so the charges were attempting to kill the president, assault on Mm -hmm. a federal officer, use of a firearm during the commission of a felony, assault with a dangerous weapon, assault with intent to kill, assaulting a police officer with a deadly weapon, and carrying a pistol without the required license. Those were the charges. Okay, Okay. but what I'm saying is this. There can't be... No statute of limitations on murder, but be a law that says a year and a day, and they throw the case out. Something's wrong there. Y'all need to look at that because those that's those are contradictions. All right. Well, I don't I, think there is a statute of, of limitations on murder. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't say a, there was a statute of limitations. It's the year and a day rule. It's a common law standard um, that goes back to England and Wales that is observed largely 
in the United States. Even as recently as 2001, the Supreme Court held that a, a Tennessee court's retroactive abolition of the rule uh, was constitutional, um, but they have to it, they have to act. The, the legislature has to speak. The rules. Common law status has been successfully used in this country to overturn convictions as recently as 2003. So that's I didn't make the rule. Uh, that's that's the rule. Uh, Steve, I'll leave it to I you. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Steve. All right. First, I thought it was the other Tom from the Bronx. I wanted to ask him what his favorite pizza place was in the Bronx. because I grew up in the Bronx. Listen, no, just to be <laughs> Just uh, now, nah, you're a Tom. You're just another Tom. Yeah, um, yeah, remember, just in New York City, Tom, New York City alone, you know, yeah. how many cold case murder cases there are out there that have not been solved in New York City yeah. alone? So murder, we know there's no statute of limitations on murder. We know there's no statute of limitations on tax fraud. It can go on. They can go back forever on that, too. And the, the bottom line is uh, you, this is called double jeopardy. If you are found innocent, you cannot be reindicted. But we know the feds can go after you for other reasons. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. By the way, just uh, going back to that year-and-a-day rule, in California, they actually changed, the legislature there changed the year-and-a-day rule to three years in a day. So in California, if a death occurs more than three years in one day after the act alleged to have caused it, um, then there there's a rebuttable presumption that the killing is not criminal, but the prosecution may seek to overcome that presumption. All right. Uh, Steve, stick around if you want. 800-848-WABC. We'll have Steve stick around for the rest of the hour. And then uh, we have a series of mystery guests coming up, at least one next hour. We don't know who it is. We'll see. Hopefully it's interesting. I'm hoping it's Mel Brooks. That would be a nice treat. 800-848-9222. We'll go through the primary results as well. There were quite a few interesting results, especially out of California, uh, but also right in our backyard in New Jersey as well. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C. This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 W.A.B.C. the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Yesterday was primary day in seven states, including right in our backyard in New Jersey. But a lot of the interesting races uh, that I've been paying attention to were in California. I don't think there was a more interesting race to watch where than the recall election in San Francisco where it appears that Kessa Boudin, who was just elected a couple of years ago as a progressive uh, DA, he has been recalled pretty handily as well. San Francisco, which is a very progressive city, it look you know, it's funny. I was talking about going to the San Francisco airport yesterday, and a listener that I think lives near there says, oh, I'm sorry you didn't get to take advantage of our homelessness and crime. Apparently... It's not just Republicans and independents that are fed up with crime. In San Francisco, they have recalled the district attorney there. Here's the other interesting uh, election result out of... Now, the way the the elections work in California is 
everybody runs in the first round of a nonpartisan primary, and then the top two vote getters advance to the general election. So you could have 20 Democrats and five Republicans, and then you could have the top two candidates be one Democrat and one Republican, or you could have them be two Democrats or two Republicans. The Los Angeles mayor's race was very interesting. The candidate that is leading right now, and this could change a little bit after mail-in votes are counted, but the candidate that appears to have finished first is a gentleman named Rick Caruso, who is a billionaire developer who spent a ton of money and made the whole focus of his election crime. And he's a former Republican. You know, it's funny. And he beat or he finished ahead because there's going to be a second round where he and the uh, person that finished second are going to advance. But the person who he who he finished ahead of was Congresswoman Bass who's represented Los Angeles for a long time and who has a very progressive record. So I think in L.A. as well, which is a heavily liberal Democratic city, you're seeing a lot of Democratic primary voters upset with the crime issue. You know, last year when we had the mayor's race, uh, John Katsimatidis talked openly about the fact that he was wondering if he should run as a Democrat. I do wonder if after seeing what we're seeing in L.A. and San Francisco, maybe if he would have run in a Democratic primary with New York as upset about crime as they are, maybe he could have won a Democratic primary. Imagine that. So we'll see. In New Jersey, there's some interesting results. Um, Ian Smith, who's that guy, that gym owner that gained a lot of uh, fame during COVID for opening his gym, he lost uh, the primary he was running in to Bob Healy. Tom Kane Jr. won his primary, so he's going to face off against uh, Tom Malinowski for a, uh, a rematch in the general election. I think Tom Kane Jr. could actually win that seat, by the way. Um, on the Democratic side in New Jersey, I, I don't love this. I mean, I don't know much about the person I'm about to reference, but I don't love political legacies in general, and I'm not crazy about his father, but I don't want to hold the sins of his father against him, although it seems to me that if his name uh, was, again, Smith, he would have gone nowhere. The winner of the Democratic primary in New Jersey for the 8th Congressional District, overwhelming winner, is Bob Menendez Jr. So Bob Menendez Jr. in a heavily Democratic district appears likely to go to Congress now. So we're going to have two Bobs Menendez in the United States Congress, one in the Senate, one in the House. So uh, so that's that's that. No other big surprises out of New Jersey from what I see, unless uh, I'm missing listening, unless I'm missing anything there. But in San Francisco, that's the big surprise of the day. Kessa Bodine has conceded defeat. He told his supporters that this was never about one vote count. It was never about one election night party. This is a movement, not a moment in history. Now, I agree with him that this is a moment in history, but I think he's on the wrong side of history, personally. 800-848-WABC. Steve in Manhattan, uh, any thoughts about the primary results? Uh, not really. I really believe that the biggest issues of the day are, are never being addressed. And some of these candidates are such phonies. And you brought up with Hochul. I heard Hochul one time being interviewed by uh, Cindy Adams. And Hochul said 
that when she was in high school, she worked in a pizza place. And on her graduation day from high school, she said that the pizza owner who she worked for told her if she didn't show up that day of her graduation, she was going to be fired. This girl, this woman was lying like there was no tomorrow. But that's what they are. They are phonies. They'll concoct any type of story for sympathy or to gain any type of uh, advantage over their opponent. The woman is a phony, and she is, believe me, she's a weird-looking woman if you ever see her in person. All right. Well, let's uh, go to uh, Chris in the Catskills. Hello there, Chris. Chris, we got you? Uh, all right. Uh, we'll, we'll keep you. Chris, yes. there we go. We got you now. Yeah, good morning, Frank. I thought Swazi did well. I felt that he was coming on maybe a little strong in the attack. I texted a a female friend of mine who's very progressive, and I texted her. I said, is it okay to attack a a woman in in a political debate in 2022 if you're a man? And she texted me back, yes. So I, I guess it was okay. He didn't come across warm and fuzzy, but he came across like angry energy. He has a game plan to try and fix the crime, and that was basically his the main crux of his platform that he presented last night. But I, I thought it was effective. Uh, I plan on voting for him. Interesting. Now, you don't see it being competitive, though, right? You think Hoka wins in a walk? I don't. Well, I'm going to vote for him myself. No, I, I understand. I'm think, I, no, I'm actually thinking that Hoka has had the opportunity to be out in the spotlight with all these unfortunate events the last couple weeks. And that helps her be seen. But we'll have to wait and see whether or not, you know, she has the establishment support is enough to get her over the top. You know, it's funny. They were, several of your other hosts were talking about handicapping the Republican uh, election the primary out of the four candidates, they've got it all wrong. I, it's going to be an upset. Giuliani's going to win. You know, I, I tend to agree with you, Chris. I think Giuliani's very well positioned. Chris, uh, thanks for the call. Steve, any reaction to uh, the Chris commentary there? First, I'd like to know how Chris is going to pull off voting in the uh, primary if he's in the Catskills, unless that's his second home. All right. Tom, well, the Catskills uh, is in New York State. Oh, Catskills. Oh, I thought he, I thought he meant the, the Poconos. I mixed it up. It's already, I've been up all day. <laughs> right. He can definitely vote if he wants. He can probably vote. Well, that's very once. very big of you, Steve. Uh, uh, Tom Swazi, right? To me, this guy is. Um, He's got a lot of support from the unions. You should know that, Chris. But the thing is, a lot of guys in unions don't live in the state anymore. If you're familiar with the people in unions, they live in Connecticut, they live in Pennsylvania, they live in New Jersey, and he just doesn't have he's but you know what his problem with Swazi? He's he's run out of voters that would support him. But he doesn't impress me. He's not tough on Bragg. He's not tough on any of these people. He's another one who sugarcoats um Obviously, he supported him, uh, the Adams family, you know, Mayor Tightsuit. So I, he doesn't impress me at all. He's another guy to just put up there. But for him, I would tell his campaign, guys, you ran out of votes. All right. Well, thank you, Steve. I don't know why Swazi's even bothering now. Uh, all right, Steve, thank you. I appreciate your contributions. See, you, there you go. Steve says it's time for Swazi to throw in the towel. So there you go. I don't know why he, he might as well just take the next 20 days off. Uh, I'll tell you what I do like about San Francisco. I love this recall format. See, we don't have this in New York. You guys have it in New Jersey, although it's very rarely used out there. 
I wish we could recall elected officials here. And I realize a lot of people don't think that's a good idea because sometimes you have to make decisions at the beginning of your term that are unpopular because you see the forest through the trees. You see something that's going to be good for the long-term view of the public, but um, they may not see it. That being said, I get it. I still love the populism of recall elections. And as you see, with Scott Walker in Wisconsin, when you tried, when they tried to recall him, and with uh, Governor Gavin Newsom in California, when they tried to recall him, sometimes these governors emerge even more strongly from these recall campaigns if they survive them. You know, Walker was able to mount a credible bid for pre- for the presidency. Of course, then he subsequently lost his reelection. But Gavin Newsom appears cruising to an easy reelection this year after that winning that recall election. So I really do. I don't know how you feel about it, but I really do wish we had that recall procedure here in uh, in New York State as well and everywhere, quite frankly, for federal officials, local officials, you name it. I'd love for our politicians to be living in fear of the public. Instead of the other way around, which seems to be too often the case. 800-848-WABC. One of the few areas where I found myself disagreeing with Swazi and agreeing with Hochul was on the issue of uh, term limits. Swazi said he was uh, opposed to term limits, and Hochul has already proposed term limits for the executive branch. Uh, That's one issue where I part company from Swazi on that one. All right. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far. Those of you that are holding, we'll get to you in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Still some mystery guests to come. Straight ahead. WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Suppose that I should fall in love with you. Do you think that you could love me too? Suppose and I should hold you and caress you. Would it impress you or perhaps distress you? Suppose and I should say for you I yearn. Would you think I'm speaking out of turn? And suppose and I declare it Would you take my love and share it I'm not supposing I'm in love with you The great Frank Sinatra Sposing A terrific song If you ever want to know the music we're playing Join our Facebook group Just search on Facebook Morano Radio Fans and Haters And also um, If the subjects that are on your mind About this show, comment on. You know what? You know what I am trying to discourage. At least people are being topical talking about the show now. That must be the new guest editor status of um, an editor status of uh, Alex Barnard and uh, Philippe, who has now apparently pretty much abandoned us for the morning show. Wait until they get wise to his antics. They're going to send him back here in no time. But. <clears throat> One of the things that I've noticed is now people are commenting on unrelated threads. Like the user Joel had a thread yesterday on the song Mr. Dabalina. Or, and then Michael just commented on this and said the following. He said, I waited 57 minutes to talk about Hinckley and you kicked that topic down the street. 
I won't call back. I, and then he made some other comments. Now, wouldn't you think that that comment has nothing to do with Mr. Dabalina? So wouldn't you think you'd start a new thread or a new post just with that comment? Why co-opt Joel Ryder's post about Mr. Dabalina? See, it's again, it's the problem with being topical that I, I find we have difficulty with at times. 800-848-WABC. Um, well, I will try and get to as many of you as possible. We do have at least one mystery guest coming up in a little while. And hopefully more. Uh, because I'm beginning to think that this is a little, little anticlimactic. I'm beginning to think Alex and Matt and Jen were sleeping on the job for a week. I'll tell you what I'm doing today. I am at 7 a.m. picking my br- sister, brother, and brother's girlfriend up from the airport. So, I, you know, I figured I'll let my wife sleep a little bit. My plan is to... Record the business report that airs in the 5 o'clock hour. Record a couple of other commercials and things that I have to record. Run home. Change cars, because my car's a mess. I don't have room for one passenger. It's filled with all sorts of stuff. Garbage and books and softball equipment and all sorts of things. And then get my wife's car, which is very neat and pristine. And I'm going to get my son. And then bring, because that's usually when he's about ready to wake up anyway, 6.30-ish. And then he'll he'll keep me awake. I won't have to worry about sleeping while driving if he's in the car. So I'll we'll pick up my siblings from the airport with with my son and uh, take them back home. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them. But can't help but notice that uh, I don't remember them offering to give me a lift to the airport when I was coming the other way. Whatever. All right, eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Hey, I'll tell you what I did pick up from the airport. In Hawaii, some, you know, I'm not much of a a beef jerky person, but I am a fish fanatic, which is why I like so many of the restaurants in Maui, because they're very seafood centric. But when I was perusing for last minute gift items in the airport in Maui, they had something that I've never seen before, and I was too full to try it. But I, because, you know, basically I had spent three or four days eating and drinking in uh, Maui. But I saw this thing that I'd never seen before, and I'm really looking forward to trying. It's called tuna jerky. Ahi tuna jerky. And so I picked up a bag of this, and I may, they also apparently make salmon jerky, but I didn't grab any of that. But uh, I'm going to try some of this today, I think. Premium ahi tuna jerky. I don't know if anyone's tried this, but... I may eat this while I'm in the car waiting to pick them up from uh, the airport. So uh, that that's my adventure for the, the morning. Friday, I am looking very much forward to being at the Talkers Conference. This is, I think anybody can go to it, but it's a conference meant to, I mean, you have to buy a ticket and the tickets aren't cheap, but it's a conference meant for talk show hosts. So uh, a lot of our people are speaking. O'Reilly is speaking. Brian Kilmeade, who's going to be on this show tomorrow, by the way. Kilmeade is speaking. I believe our owner, John Katsimatidis, is giving the keynote address. And I'm on a panel. And, um, you know, I'm happy that they asked me to be on the panel. And they're so good to me over at Talkers. But I like to go to these things and just sit and listen and absorb all this information. You see, if I'm on a panel, I do have to worry about being awake 
at whatever time the panel is. I think it's around one thirty. But that's at Hofstra. So I'm looking forward to uh, doing that. You know, the, you know what I really enjoy about these talkers conferences. I um, really like seeing all these hosts that I'm friends with that now work and live in different parts of the country. It's sort of the one day that everybody comes together and the panels themselves end up being pretty informative too. So that's my, uh, my Friday. All right. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Yeah. Hi. 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 Good morning. Morning. Uh, Okay. I hear an echo, right? (laughs) Okay, uh, I believe, I think I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I think that what you were talking about, Frank, about a year and a day or three years and a day, and the other people that were talking about statute of limitations, you're both talking about two different things. Statute of limitations, I'm not a lawyer, but I think I'm right. Statute of limitations is, is after a certain amount of time, you can't accuse somebody of something, but of murder. We can't charge you, somebody. You accuse somebody right. of murder 30 years ago, it's still applicable. That's correct. So it counts. It's not past the statute of limitations. You're talking about if the victim dies after a year and a day after the perp shot him or stabbed him right. or whatever. That's right. If it's more than yeah. a certain amount of time, it doesn't count. That's right. Well, not, not that it doesn't count, but you can't charge them. Of, right. But the statute of limitations, it's all totally different things. Yeah, I, I know. I, I've tried to make that clear, Charles. I'm not sure why I've had to now explain it three times. But, yes, you're exactly right. I know, but they didn't catch on. They didn't catch on. All right. No, I'm glad. What I wanted to say, though, is what you were saying originally about Hinckley, inspire people. You only inspire insane people. I mean, who's going to go do that? Because maybe in 40 years later... You're going to be a star. I yeah, mean, well, uh, Charles, I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not worried about a lot of sane people shooting presidents. I'm worried about somebody that's a mentally ill artist thinking that they can uh-huh. be a star in 30 or 40 years after seeing Hinckley perform to sold-out right, shows well, in Brooklyn. You. Then I hear you, but you, you, you never said insane people. They have to be insane to plan to yeah, believe. Yeah, no doubt. No, no doubt about you know. it. No doubt about it. Yeah. I, I, again, unfor- the unfortunate reality, and thanks for the call, Charles, the unfortunate reality is that there are a lot of insane people out there. And a lot of them may have a talent for music or art or comedy or being a novelist or any of a number of other things. Or they may think they have a talent for this. And I'm concerned that a lot of people could see what's happening with Hinckley now as their chance for superstardom. But I don't want to make the whole show about John Hinckley because, again, I don't, I don't want to add publicity to his, you know, redemption tour here. But I do feel strongly that by people patronizing his art here, that it's a different ballgame. That by making him wealthy, just because folks know who he is because he killed a president or uh, tried to kill a president, excuse me, that is going to be a slippery slope and very dangerous. Bill is in Brooklyn. Hello. Yes, sir. Uh, I have a question for you, sir. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Uh, for, is Steve there? No, we, we, I, I was sort of bored with Steve. At a, What's the definition point. of a liberal? Yeah, I, I can't answer that. I'll, I'll defer I to can. Steve. Go ahead. I can. Mm-hmm. It's someone who hasn't been mugged yet. Uh-huh. This fact that this Hinckley is having a concert is a disgrace to our nation. That's one. 
Number two, I mean, most of your callers, they're all hypocrites. You know, now they care about gun violence. My father was shot with a gun. Okay? I know all about gun violence. Hello? Yeah, I'm listening to you. It sounded like My you were My father was shot in 1975 point. by a black guy with a firearm. Mm. Okay? Now they care about gun no, they never cared. First of all, and then these Democrats. You, they, he keeps it. Why do people vote Democrat? You want to know why? Because the welfare wagon keeps it moving along. That's why they keep voting Democrat. Number two, Hochul. Hochul is a train wreck. Okay, she's a nice lady, and uh, I wish Steve. You know, you can't make a comment. Where she looks. You can't comment on someone's looks. She's the governor of the state. I mean, she seems like a nice lady, but she's a train wreck. And number three, Jermani Williams. I mean. Seems like a nice guy. He only cares about, uh, he doesn't care about white people. That's pretty obvious. But uh, well, I mean. Why is that obvious? Oh, please. Please. And, you know, a lot of your, uh, I mean, Democrats, I mean, it's Democrats of today and not Democrats from 1940. Well, but I mean, what, what kind of answer to that is my so, question, Bill? When, so when you just, Williams, Bill. He, he, he talks about, he only talks about the same thing. Oh, brown people, black and brown. I get it. How about talking about all people? Not just black and brown. Well, I mean, people. he did I mean, he did hammer Hochul and Cuomo on the nursing home issue. There were some white people that died in that, weren't there? Oh, please, a nursing home issue. Okay, please. So uh, that's one of many issues right. in it's our country. One, it's one of many, right? But right. it, it is an issue that the, does affect white people as well, right? These judges who keep letting these criminals out are a disgrace, and they're feel good judges. They're liberals who, oh, I let out, I, I'm a superstar in the media because I let out Hinckley. Hinckley's a perfect example. The judge let him out? Really? What if you, What if that judge's relative got shot in the head by Hinckley? Would he be so fast to let him out? Well, it's a disgrace. All the right, law Bill. and order in our country is a disgrace because these liberal attorneys and judges have turned it into a joke. All right, Bill. I'm sorry your father was, uh, was shot, but... Um... Uh, you know, you said a lot there that I disagree with uh, in terms of voting Democrat. Number one, uh, there are still a lot of Democrats that I vote for. I still I think there are a lot of good Democrats uh, out there. Uh, number two, I think the fact that you're seeing some tough on crime Democrats get winning primaries shows you that there's still a lot of Democrats that do care about the crime issue. The fact that San Francisco, which is overwhelmingly Democrat, just recalled their soft on crime district attorney shows the Democrats care about crime, too, at least enough of them to recall a progressive D.A. So uh, you said a lot there that I disagree with, uh, but um, I appreciate you listening. All right. Coming up in a minute, we may have a mystery guest. Otherwise, we have another pope that may want to step down. What is it with all these guys? We're going to have more popes than uh, cardinals pretty soon. Until then, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Good morning, everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. It's funny. I, um, I grew up Catholic. I do resonate a little bit more with the uh, Episcopal Church these days, but there's still a lot of Catholic traditions that I embrace. And I'm an enthusiastic watcher of the goings-on in the Catholic Church. And someone that a lot of people criticized for various reasons, but someone who I had a tremendous amount of respect for was uh, Pope John Paul II. And I loved so many different aspects of John Paul II. I love that he stood up to communism. I love that he forgave and prayed um, with the man that shot him and tried to assassinate him. I loved um, his really infectious love for for children. I loved everything about him. But one of the things that I really appreciated about him towards the end of his life is that when his health was failing, when it was clear he was having a difficult time speaking or walking or ministering or doing the ordinary things that forget about a pope does or a priest does, that a person does. He was having a very hard time doing everything that a person does. He stuck with it. And he didn't die and be sick privately. He did it publicly. And I thought that that was so beautiful and so refreshing. And I'll tell you why. In this Western culture, and even really a worldwide culture, that seems to come down to worshiping youth and acting as if people, once they're sick or they're invalids or they're debilitated in some way, as if they're less than a human being, they're people to be shunned rather than recognize that the the operative term in the kind of people they are is that they're people. I love that Pope John Paul II, Kalawatiya, was teaching us publicly how to die. And especially, look, I don't question what people want to do if they have a family member that's suffering or things like that, but especially at a time when euthanasia seemed to be getting in vogue, uh, you know, because of uh, the attention that um, the Dr. Kevorkian cases and others was garnering. And I don't want to have a whole euthanasia discussion now. Uh, That's beyond my payroll as a radio ethicist. But I thought it was so nice that the leader of the Catholic Church, which is steadfastly opposed to euthanasia, was out there basically being a living, the living, breathing embodiment for the opposite of euthanasia. I thought it was wonderful. And I found it really inspiring, uh, to be honest. So then Pope Benedict XVI gets elected. I think it was around 2005. And, you know, he he was definitely a a different type of pope for a whole bunch of reasons. And then he abdicates the papacy in 2013. Nobody had done that in about 600 years. Nobody had resigned from being pope in about 600 years. And immediately, pretty immediately, I thought something was amiss. I thought something was a little off. I thought, huh, okay, all right, maybe he he says he's sick. He says he no longer has the mind or the body to be able to do it. Okay, 
So you expect that he's sick and he wants everybody to be able to choose a more functioning pope. Okay. That was almost 10 years ago. He's still alive. He's still alive. Acting as the Pope Emeritus. So I have always believed that there could be something to the fact, and then the person that was elected to replace him was his total opposite in every theological way, in every political way. The guy that was elected was a left turn dramatically on every single issue that a pope weighs in on, except maybe war. I think they're both opposed to, uh, you know, war. Other than that, I mean, he's much more liberal, Pope Francis. I thought that's odd. Pope Benedict XVI says he's too ill to continue. He's still alive. And they just happen to elect somebody that's the opposite of him in every ideological way? Hmm, strange. Okay, that brings us to the present day, or at least the near present. So there's no question Pope Francis is having some health issues. He's had a recent colon surgery. There are some mobility issues. And now people are speculating that Pope Francis is about to quit. Um, He's been Pope for about nine years and certainly done things a lot different than a lot of his predecessors. And now there's no question that Pope Francis, whatever you think of him, he's got this incredible energetic demeanor. And now that energetic demeanor has been dramatically slowed down by a series of health issues that have forced the Pope into a wheelchair for the last month. And it's changed a lot of his day-to-day behavior. So the rumors of the Pope being ill and ready to resign have been common in Italian media, where they cover this stuff very closely. But now there's all sorts of speculation about Pope Francis and that he might be about to resign because he's about to travel to a town in central Italy called La Aquila or La Aquila. And... He's going there on August 28th. That's going to start the Feast of Forgiveness. That's a seven centuries old festivity inaugurated by Pope Celestine V, who resigned in 1294 after four months as Pope, one of only a handful of popes to have resigned before Pope Benedict XVI. So people are saying that because he's making this trip to this town, on this feast that was inaugurated by another pope that resigned, they're saying that there's going to be a lot of symbolism here and that that is more likely. Here's what's more interesting. The celebrations are going to open only a day after Pope Francis is scheduled to appoint 21 new cardinals. So he's appointing 21 new cardinals who are eligible to vote for the new the next pope if he should quit or die, whatever the case may be. Now, make no mistake, these are going to be his guys. These are going to be people that view the church and the world the way that he does. So he's going to be able to have a pretty substantial influence in the kind of person 
that's going to be the next pope. On top of this, the Vatican has announced two days of talks the following week to brief the new cardinals on the reforms to the Vatican bureaucracy that Pope Francis is including, is supporting, including allowing women to head certain Vatican offices. So altogether, this feels pretty final. It looks like, to me anyway, and to a lot of people that follow this much more closely than I do, that Pope Francis is trying to cement and ensure his legacy before he leaves. So what does that mean? Before Benedict, the last papal resignation was about 600 years ago. Are we now in a new era where it's going to become standard for every pope to resign? And what do you think that means? Now, we're going to have three popes. Currently, Pope Benedict XVI has the title of Pope Emeritus. I assume Pope Francis will get that same title, Pope Emeritus. And then whoever the next pope is, let's say it's Francis II, whoever the next pope is, that person will be the one actually running things at the Holy See. Um, I think this is potentially problematic. Now, when you're the pope, you're almost like the living embodiment of Christ, selected by the College of Cardinals in a in a in a procedure that has gone on for thousands of years. I don't think you should be able to resign. I don't think you should resign so easily. Bishops retire at the age of 75. Popes do not have a retirement age. And I I don't think they should. I think popes, just like Pope John Paul II, should show us how to die and how to age publicly. That's my view. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. And look, obviously it's easy for me to say, well, I'm in relatively good health, not in a wheelchair, not dealing with the rigors of being pope. It's easy for me to say, hey, while this guy is suffering and in pain, he should go out and lead billions of, of Catholics every every day. I realize that's easy for me to say. That being said, um, no one forced you to become a pope. No one forced you to become a cardinal. No one forced you to become a bishop or a priest. So, I mean, this is we know that being pope requires a sacrifice. I don't love this new era of popes resigning willy-nilly. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. My concern is also, again, not that I'm the most strident Catholic in the world, but my concern is that this leads to a secularization of the church and the papacy. That it takes away a little bit of that mystique. If you could have three, four, five popes running around at any given time, in my view, it makes it a little less special. Also, the other thing, people may think I'm crazy, but you may think I'm crazy for a bunch of reasons. Now that it's going to become commonplace, if Pope Francis goes forward with this decision, it's going to become commonplace for popes to resign. I'm also concerned that this could lead leave open the door to popes being 
blackmailed, to being pressured, to being, yes, bribed. We've seen that before. And, you know, if you want to blackmail the Pope or pressure the Pope somehow, all you have to do is say to him, all right, well, this information is going to come out. The way to make sure it doesn't come out is to do what your previous two predecessors have done and resign. Nobody's going to question it. Just say you're sick. Pope Benedict XVI has been claiming he's sick for 10 years, still alive, still kicking. He's enjoying his time at the Pope's summer residence. So I have some concerns about this, and nobody can contest this. The Pope's resignation is not actually offered to anybody. The Pope's the boss. There's no role above the papacy in the Vatican, and the Pope has no guidelines to live by in case of a retirement. But we could be in a situation where, for the first time in any of our lifetimes, we have three living popes. I think this is problematic. So tell me what you think. one 800 Let me begin with Dan in Rigo Park, or as Ryan calls it, Regal Park. Hello, Dan. Hi, Frank. Uh, thanks. I don't know if you said this because I was talking to your screener, mm-hmm. but the, the, the present uh, Cardinals, uh, uh, College of Cardinals is a little like 132, a little over 80 have been appointed by Francis. Right, and he's about to appoint 21 more. Yeah. So this is eventually going to be, the next papal conclave will be Francis II. I I think that's very likely. I I think that's one of the reasons why Pope Francis is more likely to resign under the current circumstances, because he knows that whoever's picked next is going to follow the path that he's charted for the church. By the way, let me make another comment. I mean, Francis, as a human being, really leaves a lot to be desired. If you watch the way he acted, he acts, the way that a poor Chinese woman tried to uh, shake his hands and he just dismissed her out of hand. He's uh, thrown the, uh, the faithful Roman Catholics in China under the bus. And, 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 the, and the deal he's made with the, with, Chinese, with the red Chinese government has never been published. Now, they talk about uh, Pius XII, what he did or he didn't do in World War II. I have my thoughts. I, I thought he was a good man. But all of a sudden, what Pius XII has done under those circumstances, Francis has done a heck of a lot worse present day. That's my thoughts. All right. Hey, you're entitled to your view, Dan. Um, I'll tell you, I am the self-proclaimed least judgmental person on earth. So while I've just spent the last 15 minutes questioning whether or not popes should be resigning, one of the things that I'm going to not do is offer judgment on the person that sits in the seat of St. Peter. Uh, I am going to refrain judgment from that. And I disagree that Pope Francis leaves a lot to be desired as a person. Maybe he leaves a lot to be desired as um, the leader of the world's Catholics for the reasons you stated. I think if you look at uh, a lot of his ministry and a lot of his charity and a lot of his leadership as a person before he even became Pope, I think he's a pretty impressive human being, actually. But uh, that's why this is America, you know, Uh, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Tom is at the Jersey Shore. Hello, Tom. 
good evening or good morning. Good morning. Um, I, I I have my own views about this. I I probably am a bit on your side and a bit on the Pope's side, but my own feeling is that once uh, starting with Paul the Sixth, the Pope's uh, traveled internationally. It's a grind on that. It is. It is. It's, it, it's a terrible grind. I mean, I don't do the traveling. I did as a young man. But, uh, you know, every time I, I went someplace, I was a little out of gas, you know, for the next morning yeah. or whatever. And he's an, he's an older fellow now. Uh, he's got his frailties. The, you know, the, as you properly brought up, now there's going to be three poems. Well, now there's going yeah, to be three poems. Right. Well, I guess. and Tom, and I'm going to uh, let me just interject here based on what you're saying, and then I'll let you make your point the, um, uninterrupted. The other thing is. We've never, because we've never really had a Pope Emeritus, we've never defined what the roles of a Pope Emeritus are. Now, Pope Benedict chooses to live mostly in isolation, but he's even had a semi-public role at times. He's done some interviews, he's published some some writings, and he's relayed certain conversations. But it's certainly not inconceivable that a retired Pope could choose to take a much more active role. For example, I mean, visiting Catholic communities around the world, giving lectures, and and offering public advice and criticism to the present Pope. So what kind of position does that put a current Pope in if there are two Popes out there questioning a decision that he makes? I mean, I, I find it to be unfair not only to the current Pope, but unfair to the world's Catholics. Well, when you say, when the, when the, when the consistory elects you and you say accepto, you, you say it like you said before, like John Paul did. And um, I was traveling a lot uh, back in those days. As a matter of fact, I was in London when uh, I saw him for the last time on the TV coming to the window, and he was frustrated and sick. And then uh, I went to California like two days later, and he died. Uh, he was an extraordinary man. He was elected, as you well know, when he was a young guy, 57, 58, vigorous guy. Um, l- l- let me trip back to, to where you were with Pius. This is a guy that's been dogged um, very unfairly by people. Um, what was he supposed to do when this little mile square Vatican with all the treasures in it, and he's the seat of, a, of, of the church at that time that had more people in the church. What was he supposed to do? Surrender to Mussolini or Hitler and get bombed and everything destroyed like they ultimately did? Thank God for the brave American troops that were there. But going back to Francis, I agree with some, uh, you know, you know what? We're, we're never going to know. If he said to Joe Biden, yeah, you can you can support abortion and continue to receive communion. I don't know if I go for that. I'm a divorced Catholic. I'm not supposed to get communion, but I get it. I just kind of figure, you know, let Christ be the judge on that. Um, uh, but the moral issues, he's got to stand up for them. I um, uh, what is the cardinal's name in San Francisco? Help me. It's like a it's like a mob name almost. <laughs> it's a it's a good name, and he took a stand, and I believe in him. I believe in the stand that he took. Yeah, I don't so, know. I, yeah, I, I, the name escapes me as well. Uh, oh, oh, uh, Salvador uh, Cordelion. 
Yeah, I love yeah. that name. Yeah, that is, that is a cool name. Uh, Tom, thank you. Let me try and grab one or two more people in here. Uh, and then I think we do have a mystery guest next. Not sure if it's in studio or on the phone. We'll see. 800-848-WABC. Jim is in New Jersey. Hello, Jim. Jim. Frank, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you, Jim. What's on your mind? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I thank you for the, for the topic. Now, uh, once again, uh, you're a good new, you know, you're you're a good radio host. I love the way you passed over Benedict's discreet way you uh, didn't get into why he could have retired, uh, but that's his business. Well, you you but think it's Francis, tied to the uh, child sex scandal or something? I do think so. Mm-hmm. I do think so. And, uh, but I think that now, how old are you, Frank? Uh, I I don't say. Okay. I'll say my age. I'm 77 years old. I'm a year younger than Joe Biden, and I think I'm fresher than Joe Biden, you know, in my faculties. Close your eyes and and think of what would you say about Joe Biden resigning today, you? I I would say uh, heaven help us with President Harris. I know, but what would you say about Joe resigning? Don't don't look at his successor. Well, well, I mean, I would. I I mean, I don't know what I'd say. I'd say. Uh, oh, oh, come on, Frank. Be honest. What, what do you, I, I'm I not say, sure. What would I say? I would, I would say. I would say Joe, the way he performs as a president, deserves the opportunity to resign politely. Uh, and but the Pope may may be facing the same thing. We don't know his mental state. And he may be. What would you do? What would you do if you had an occupied? Answer this one. He 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 remains he remains the pope, but he gets dementia. How do you remove him? Well, you don't. You're saying you don't. And and I'm sure that we've what do had you mean that. You don't. I'm, well, you don't. I mean that there's no what? dementia provision within the Holy See for removing a pope. I'm sure we have had popes with dementia before. Now let's say. You know, uh, let's say you have a pope coming out and they're suffering from dementia and they come out and say Jesus is is really Mickey Mouse or something like that. That would not apply to the doctrine of papal infallibility, because that really only applies to uh, when the pope is talks about the speaking about his doctrine yeah, of the church. when he's speaking ex cathedra on doctrinal issues so hmm. I, I think that um you, you know i'm sure we have had popes that have suffered with dementia before uh, now let me let me criticize you on that let me critique you on that have you heard the his when have you heard the history of dementia dementia in psychology and in uh, and in history just a history of dementia mentioned as a major illness for older people. When have I heard I'm it? Heard. I, I, I've, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I hear it regularly. No, recently about us, our, our aging population, it seemed it wasn't mentioned centuries ago, dementia, mental illness like that. So I'm, I'm just saying maybe he just realizes that there's a and, – and what he's doing, he's leaving not his legacy – Let's not look look like like uh, he's leaving. He's leaving the church in good order with strong cardinals that have a belief system. Right, so your he's view is at the your view is uh, Pope Francis should be able to resign without any guilt and move forward. And there's nothing wrong if yeah. future popes want to do this as well. Not that they want to do it; that they have to do right. it. It's not an option. It, but it's hit, not hidden away, but in the documentation. In the in the you know in the Holy See in the Church, 
there's a he, he'll p- pronounce his whole reasons. I'm leaving because of, you know, I want to be an effective pope, a competent individual, somebody that looks like the leader of the faith. You know, uh, you know, when when Christ was on the cross, he came off the cross, and you know, he came out a powerful individual. You know, he came out super powerful. You know, he he, he doesn't. You know, and you know, he he's. You know he's he's making. A, I think the man is a good man with a good moral soul. He's not trying to escape from things. He's just saying this is better for the church. All right. Well, hey, I, I, I'm not. As I said, uh, it's, who am I to question the pope? Right, Jim. I just worry about a situation where you have three popes running around. I also worry uh, that this leads to a secularization of what was heretofore always viewed as a. Um, almost a heavenly institution. Last comment, and then we'll get to at least one mystery guest here. Pete is in New Jersey. Hello, Pete. Yeah, Frank, hi. Both uh, Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul II wrote a couple of superlative books about spirituality and religion, and my experience is that the vast majority of baptized Catholics have made it a point not to read any of them or know anything about what they taught about scripture, religion, or spirituality. Uh, uh, Pete, we'll let that be the last word. This is the other side of Midnight Mystery Guest. Straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I'll tell you, I have never been the biggest fan of rap or hip-hop. There are some rap songs that I enjoy, but I've always felt that the medium of rap music was missing something. And I really wasn't quite sure what that is until today, precisely a minute or two ago. And I have now come to believe that the thing that rap music has been lacking is nerdness, precisely visionary nerdness. Well, I am just thrilled that we have the future of the rap game and rapidly becoming the present of the rap game on with us this morning. A man who has been described as an awkward liaison of visionary nerdness, an infotaining rapper by day, and someone who is an expert uh, who not only has multiple degrees, but is an expert on everything from cryptocurrency to the gift of learning itself. It gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome Mr. Rito Rhymes. Mr. Rhymes, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Yo, yo, yo. Thank you for having me. My name is Rito, known for my impromptu acapella. Apologies in advance. I'm sort of an awkward fella, but to prove I'm not a rapper, you need help with this diss, because I do more rapping than elves on Christmas. 
So, um, Rito, how would you describe your your rapping and rhyming? What's your focus? Basically, I use my rap medium like a stand-up comedian to broach distasteful topics and still have people eating them. <laughs> now, um, you 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 started rap performing at a pretty young age. In fact, uh, even prior to the the second grade, you knew that you were destined from some for some sort of performance medium, right? Yeah, you know, um, at a young age, my weirdness was a thing to be reckoned. I went on to master failing interactions before the second second. Because my creativity was as useful as a pool full of drool. Because leaders need vibes like crowns need jewels. But I discovered when I rhymed, people found something cool. Beneath my awkward vibe was like Da Vinci as a fool. So I became Rito Rhymes. Because music needs me like scurvy needs lines. <laughs> my brain like police need crime. Culture needs weirdness like shapes need lines. I might have half a brain, but only half me mine. You dig? I dig. Now, I know in addition to your uh, musical prowess, you have an MS in human-computer interaction, which probably makes you a perfect candidate for talking about cryptocurrency. And I know you're involved in this this blockchain campaign. Cryptocurrency and blockchain technology, it's something that everybody agrees is fascinating, but a lot of investors seem to be wondering whether – the time for cryptocurrency has passed or whether there's still a lot more to go. If people are interested in learning about the blockchain, what could you tell them about it? And if people are thinking about investing in crypto, would you tell them that's a good move right now? So here's what I would start with, um, because there are sort of two different ways, two very different ways to look at it. And I would put it this way through this rhyme, and then I'll talk some more. If you think innovation is measured in market price, think twice. Utility always precedes the role of speculative dice. Meaning, you know, the market price is, you know, has been what um, has attracted a lot of institutional investors, a lot of people hopping on board because they're very excited about making a whole lot of money, seeing how many uh, X's they can get on their returns. But the other aspect of the game is, you know, how can the technology um, further other technologies? How can blockchain serve as a basis for the Internet of Things and Web3? How can we actually expand the technical capabilities that we have as all sorts of industries are going from sort of an infantile state over to um, something greater, something more advanced? Um, as for investing in crypto, I think if you don't understand the technology itself, what you're actually investing in, you might as well go to a casino and gamble. Uh huh. Well, I do go to a casino and gamble once once in a while. <laughs> so, so people, your advice anyway is don't invest unless you understand the technology that under under the you know that uh, that that's the basis for cryptocurrency to begin with. Or if someone's giving you financial advice they should have a good understanding of the underlying technology or a very keen sense of the marketplace potential. I mean, not every great technology is going to be marketed properly. Um, so even if you have a great tech, a tech solution, it may not uh, amount to much. 
So basically, it's it's a very tricky thing. It's not for the the faint of heart. We're talking. We're talking with Rito Rhymes. He is a Brooklyn native, a and a crypto nerd rapper. You can learn more about him on his website, Rito, like Vito with an R. RitoRhymes.com. One issue that we've spoken a bit about on this show, Rito, is mental health. Uh, even before the COVID pandemic, this has been a big problem for a lot of people. What do you think um, the solution to a, a better systemic approach to mental health in our society might be? It's really a, a cultural problem. Um, and when you say systemic, you know, how can we sort of change our practices? Um, I think that a solution may be in the metaverse, actually. I think that a way to solve the way we interact with each other may be um, a form of escapism, where we escape from how we normally interact, which can be um, not in such healthy ways, that there may be alternative ways of communicating and processing our feelings and learning how to cultivate emotional intelligence that we don't have access to based on how we've developed in society so far. I think that there may be a, a way to interface and get in touch with a healthier way of being that is very difficult to grasp um, just going out through daily normal life. Hey, uh, Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, I have a lot of questions about the metaverse. A friend of mine is building out a metaverse uh, Staten Island, and uh, I have agreed to bid on the house from the Godfather that's in the metaverse Staten Island. And most people seem to be trying to understand whether I'm uh, brilliant and very ahead of my time or whether, you know, I'm in the process of being being conned by somebody that, that I've known for a long time. What's your take on that? Do you think Metaverse Realty has, uh, you know, any real investment possibility for people? In terms of speculative value, hell yes. In terms of practical utility, I don't know. That really depends on, I think, the actual market price itself based on speculative value. That in and of itself could be its own form of utility. But it also depends on um, what, when you buy that house, you know, what benefits are you going to get two to five to ten years from right now? Mm -hmm. As the Internet of Things expands, are you going to have some type of um, function that you're able to unlock by having that property? In, in the Internet of Things? You know, are you able to sort of tap into other things that other people would not because you own that property? I don't think the property in of itself necessarily has value, but if that property and that system is connected to an even bigger system, it could be a bigger investment. So the bottom line is, what is the interconnection between that project and the rest of the ecosystem that gives it value? We're talking with Rito Rhymes. Uh, you can check out his website, RitoRhymes.com. A couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I guess, there was this big decline in the value of all these cryptocurrencies. And, you know, people like me, most of us that don't own cryptocurrency, you know, it was interesting to watch. But a lot of people that were heavily invested in cryptocurrency were having a tough time. I, I am curious, 
What level of investment do you have in cryptocurrency? Have you made money both before and after that uh, that dip? And how have you done with cryptocurrency as as an investment vehicle? Personally, I've had some mixed results. Um, I did invest. I think my first investment was um, when the pandemic was first beginning and Bitcoin crashed down to around $3,000. I put a, I put some money in there. I was able to get a pretty sizable return when it came back. Um, I did lose some money on Dogecoin when it started getting hyped up, even though I'm all about the community. I think it has a, a great brand to it. Um, but yeah, the, the recent downturn has definitely impacted my portfolio and, and a lot of other people's. Um, I think it's probably temporary, but Given the speculative nature of these prices in general, I mean, who's really to say? You mentioned Dogecoin. My understanding is that this is something, this is a cryptocurrency, which sort of started out as a joke. But when it was embraced by some heavy hitters, people like Mark Cuban and Elon Musk, it developed uh, a whole following and people started making money with Dogecoin. Is that an accurate uh, history of Dogecoin? And um how would you explain Dogecoin to a layman? How did this digital currency based on a on a dog meme, how did that become one of the most talked about cryptocurrencies out there? When the richest man on earth talks about something, a whole lot of other people start to talk. Dogecoin is a funny investment, but it is not a laughing stock. If I were to explain what uh, Dogecoin is, Dogecoin is basically, um, a as a technology, it's basically a copy of Bitcoin. Um, the brand is basically different. You know, Dogecoin is known to be a, a meme coin, a meme, you know, internet memes. Um, so it's, you know, said like it's a joke. But realistically, the primary difference between Dogecoin and Bitcoin is simply the brand. That one of one of the brands is, uh, you know, has a story for, you know, being a part of the dark web and then emerging as a potential competitor to gold, Bitcoin, while the other one, Dogecoin, is known for being basically the same tech, but having a funny dog meme picture with a community that posts all sorts of memes and, uh, you know, funny stuff on Reddit and Twitter. But essentially, technologically speaking, they're very, very similar. The speculative value is mostly distinguished by the branding, for the most part. Got it. And uh, it's uh, it is interesting to me, anyway, that uh, you know I, I, that you can buy some things with uh, Dogecoin. You know, like the uh, Dallas Mavericks, I, I mentioned Mark Cuban made them start accepting Dogecoin. And there's still not a lot of other cryptocurrencies beyond Bitcoin that you could use for making purchases when you go to the store, or when you go to a sporting event. Do you see that changing in the near future? Do you think you'll be able to go to a marketplace and be able to buy all sorts of things with a, a whole bunch of different cryptocurrencies? Yes, I do. Um, yeah, Dogecoin in particular is becoming one of the more um, popular accepted choices for making transactions. People usually use Bitcoin for investment. Um, purchases go with Dogecoin. But even without uh, describing any particular cryptocurrency, there are certain payment processors that are out there 
that essentially um, at the point of sale, they'll take whatever crypto you want and they'll just convert it into U.S. dollars and they'll mm. pay whatever the market price is. So in some sense, um, the answer is pretty easy. That yes, crypto will be very easy to make payments with, but the actual merchants won't really be accepting crypto. They'll be getting U.S. dollars. You'll just be converting whatever crypto you have at the point of sale. So they won't even notice your crypto. It'll be irrelevant to them unless they start accepting crypto offhand. But at the very least, uh, there's an easy way to make crypto uh, an integratable solution in the marketplace in retail and whatnot. Is Dogecoin the cryptocurrency that you rap the most about in your music? Um, a lot of my music is not released yet. I often rap about uh, rap about and to Dogecoin because the community is a lot of fun. Um, I like the spirit of the meme, but I'm also something of a uh, agnostic cryptocurrency guy. I like a lot of different cryptos. I want to uh, dabble in the space and get a feel for the different kinds of uh, solutions that are out there, the different brands that are building. So I dap my feet in a little bit of different waters here and there, you know? And do you perform anywhere? Can people see you perform one of your infotaining raps? I recently performed at uh, Doge Palooza, the event that was headlined by Dion Warwick uh, a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, actually. Time flies. Um, but for right now, the internet scene is where I'm starting to build my brand. Hopefully there'll be some more stuff out there, more events based on crypto that you could hear me rap at. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that would be great. What part of Brooklyn uh, do you live in? Uh, would you believe me if I told you I actually live on the blockchain right now? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'll believe anything. I gave up my house and I NFT'd all of my possessions. I, uh, I'm out here, man. I'm out here. Ritorhymes.eth. Uh, uh, no, no doubt about it. Uh, that is uh, that it's terrific. All right. Uh, Rito, this has been a lot of fun and very educational. Do you want to leave us with a uh, a closing uh, acapella rap of some sort that sums up the the Rito Rhymes methodology and philosophy? No, but I'll give you some rhymes anyway. They say I hold like the Winkle Voss twins or Michael Saylor. Imagine whales were in a tub in the Thousand X Club. Rubber dub dub can Rito Rhymes join. My name ain't bit, but I keep that coin. I also love them NFTs. NFTs be tempting me. I bought so much from OpenSea, it changed its name to Empty Sea. For real, my wallet almost crashed it. No bills. Only USBs beneath my mattress, like a browser with no data. Bitch, I'm cashless. If I put the crypto in the mixer, you see the tax payers later. I'll be on the dark side of the web like a crypto Darth Vader. You haters couldn't trace me with Adobe Illustrator. And that's that. The whole market's getting hacked. I just... I just let the bottom crash like a hiney getting slapped because I'm the IBM of rap. No cap, code cracked. Rito's rhymes a key, cryptically. No math. All right. You, man. Thank you, Rito. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, best of luck to you. I hope you changed your mind about rappers. Hey, me too. Me too. Uh, let's stay in touch. Rito Rhymes. Check him out online, RitoRhymes.com. 
is the website. That was uh, that was interesting. Thank you, Rito Ryan. All right, there we go. First mystery guest in the books, 800-848-WABC. Now, maybe we see why there's a reason I do this thing, things the other way, right? 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. I tell you, I'm all right now, but last week I was in rough shape. I don't get a break with nothing. I played hide and seek when I was free. No respect, no respect. Why they wouldn't even look for me? No respect, no respect. I was an ugly kid, I never had fun. No respect. No respect. They took me to a dog show and I won. No respect. No respect. When I was born, I brought no joy. No respect. No respect. My old man said he wanted a boy. No respect. No respect. I was an ugly kid. The great Rodney Dangerfield doing Rappin' Rodney. Uh, This is another rap song that I really like, actually. Uh, If you want to comment on any portion of my discussion with Rito Rhymes, you can give us a call, 1-800-848-WABC. I I liked him. I think think he was very uh, spirited. You know, I like what he's trying to do. It's creative. It's different. Why not, right? Uh, All right. I'm not sure if we have other mystery guests coming. We'll see. We'll be uh, fine no matter what. 800-848-9222. You know, it's interesting. A writer that I really like, is uh, and he's a radio talk show host uh, a long time too, and I still listen to him. And his co-host has been a regular guest on this show. Is Malachi McCourt? Uh, these days, Malachi McCourt, and I've spoken with Malachi about this. Is you know f- for so much of his life, Malachi was well known for being on the radio and for being an actor and for being a bar owner and for being sort of a, a great New York character and a great New York wit, and um, he. So for years, his brother Frank was a teacher, Frank McCourt, who was basically just known as Malachi's brother, who happens to be a teacher. Then Frank McCourt writes the this incredible bestseller, Angela's Ashes, which is probably at this point now one of the best known, best written memoirs of all time. So I, I've gotten to befriend Malachi and his co-host John McDonough over the last few years, and I really like Malachi. I've introduced, I've interviewed him many times. I've read several of his books, and he's really just a, a great guy. And so I got the word a couple of um, you know a couple of weeks ago that Malachi McCourt was scheduling a wake because he's not doing well, but he wants to have a wake while he's still alive. So they arranged this wake for him on June 20th at the uh, Irish Repertory Theater, and Malachi guaranteed, he promised, that he will make his own wake, and he wants to hear what people will say about him at the wake, which is interesting, which is creative. I've seen that done 
on television before. I've never really seen anybody. I've never been to a wake or a funeral for a living person before. And I know Albert Brooks did it on the most recent season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I, you know, I thought it was interesting, but it's not something that I, don't, I think I'd want to do. That's why you have birthday parties or retirement parties or roasts or testimonial dinners. You invite people to say something nice about you at you know, an event other than something that's affiliated with death. But I will tell you, Malachi wrote a very good book about death a couple of years ago that I interviewed him about that was pretty interesting. So anyway, I got from John McDonough yesterday one of the most entertainingly, one of the most entertaining emails, at least the first sentence of which, that I've ever gotten. This was the email that McDonough sent me yesterday. Frank, and I sent this to my wife and she started laughing out loud because she was going to come with me to the wake. But now, but there was an opportunity for other plans that day and now we can go forward with the other plan. She said, Frank, just to let you know, Malachi has postponed his wake due to a death in his family. Now, that's a, that's, it's a sad thing that there was a death in his family. But isn't that one of the funniest things you've ever heard? That he postponed his wake, his own wake, because of a death in his family? I thought that was funny. 800-848-WABC. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yeah. Yes, how you doing? Uh, cryptocurrency yes. has been verbally assaulted by the U.S. government, and they don't like it. As far as I, I heard on the radio, I heard a report like that. Did you hear anything like that? Well, yes, but it does look like uh, at least the Federal Reserve and maybe even the government in general is moving in the direction of accepting that cryptocurrency is going to be here to stay. They're uh, finding different ways to uh, to tax it, uh, which was something that was always a challenge. And they may even be re- re- releasing their own form of cryptocurrency backed by the government. But, but you're right. Uh, there is a little bit of a, a latent hostility there because the government is in the business of fiat currency and crypto is an alternative to that. So it's only natural that there's going to be a... Attention there. 800-848-9222. Justin is in the Queens. Hello, Justin. Frank, how was your vacation? Good. I mean, I I talked about it a a bit yesterday. I don't want to bore everybody with rehashing all the details, but it was fun. No, I'm just, yeah, that's all I wanted to hear. You know, the the simple get to. But let me tell you, while you were away, man, uh, your buddy there, uh, Curtis Lee, he was just, he's just nothing but a bully. And I was really getting upset to the simple fact that I like to go to bed to you guys. You know, the, you, I think you're one of the best out there. Thank you. And all he was doing is being a bully. I, I, I kind of timed him. In the four hours, in two hours and 45 minutes out of the four hours, all he did was talk garbage. Like, dude, you're a bully. Stop it. Yeah, you know, thank you, Justin. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you looking out for me. It's very nice. Um, I don't take a lot of Curtis's comments seriously. I don't think he means it to be mean. I think he means it to be fun and funny. And I think a lot of the time he is, he is pretty funny. Uh, for instance, listen to this. I think what I'm going to have to do is convince uh, our management and our owners and operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis, that for the good of the Frank Morano family, Rachel and young Carmine, that we put Frank on a hybrid schedule where he does the other side of midnight, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like a lot of workers now in New York City. You see, I say, hey, Charlie, where you been? Well, I'm on a hybrid schedule. You know, uh, I, I work out of my house on Monday, 
and then I'm in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I don't have to fight the Friday rush because I'm back in my house uh, again doing my virtual work. Why can't we arrange a hybrid schedule for Frank Morano? I mean, I'm already doing his Monday mornings and his Friday mornings. This is the second week in a row. You think he gets the message? No, he's dense. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Pretty funny. And and there was an unusual set of circumstances there. Monday was Memorial Day. It was a company holiday. So that's why, um, you know, that's why he filled in for me that day. Uh, Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, Frank, on the interview, interview just now, uh, but, you know, using an, an, an analogy to a casino, Putting your chips on the table of the metaverse or this cryptocurrency seems a little bit of a stretch, Frank. I mean, you, you know, uh, uh, what do you think is a betting man, though? I mean, well, I, I'm not, I'm not going to invest in crypto right now. I think it's too volatile. I think there's still some room to grow in the metaverse, uh, and that's why I think digital real estate might have some really attractive speculative opportunities, which is why I'm going to buy some. Uh, right now, you can get it for almost nothing, so it's got nowhere to go but up, I think. We'll see what happens. Until next hour, your influence counts. Make sure you go ahead and use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, let's talk about education in just a moment. Um, but um, if you're just tuning in, the big news is that uh, the San Francisco DA is recalled. That's the big primary day news. And I think this goes to show you there is a new alignment coming about when it comes to crime, and electoral politics. So we're going to keep you posted on that. Um, it's Mystery Guest Day. Matt, do we have any Mystery Guest scheduled for this hour, as uh, as far as you know? No? I can't help but be disappointed that there's only one. I mean, you guys had a, a week to work on this. But um, it's always a mystery whenever, whenever you're on the other side of midnight. What will we talk about? What will we do? You never know. Now, it, I saw one story that was very disturbing. Um... And there's a few stories that are kind of related. The pandemic has pushed public schools. It has led to a student exodus from public schools. And this makes a lot makes a lot of sense to me because I know a lot of parents, for instance, that were very fed up with remote learning and things of that nature. They pulled their kids out of school, sent them to Catholic school or something like that. So 
COVID wreaked havoc on almost every aspect of public schools all over the country. And now parents are pulling their kids out of the system altogether. So with school funding directly tied to enrollments, and Mike Bloomberg wrote an op-ed in the New York Post about this a couple of days ago. With school funding directly tied to enrollment, experts are warning that the decline in students could have all sorts of other repercussions, with some schools potentially forced to close completely. So districts in the country with the most remote classes lost 4.4% of their students. That's compared to a 1.1% drop for those who held school in person. By the way, I think this, again, underscores why it was such a mistake to pull the kids out of school and to move towards remote learning. Again, I, I just hope, and I feel like I say this every day on a different subject, I just hope that whenever the next pandemic comes around, we learn our lessons. We learn our lessons on the, uh, the lockdowns. We learn our lessons on schools and everything else. So according to a survey, the... There was a 1.1% drop for public schools that held school in person and a 4.4% drop for schools that uh, were mostly remote, le- remote learning. The, not surprisingly, the city that saw the most significant drop in enrollment statewide, or the state that saw the most significant drop statewide was, you guessed it, New York. They saw a decline in enrollment in public school in New York State from 2020 to 2022 with nearly 6% decline. 6% in decline. Enrollment in New York City's public schools, the country's largest school district, dropped 9.5% over two years, according to the Washington Post. Public school enrollment in California for the first time in two decades, fell below 6 million. So this school year has had a lot of uncertainty for parents. Will my child be able to go to school and have stability in their learning environment? So a a likely explanation for the accelerated enrollment loss is parents looking for safe harbor for their kids looking for some continuity, whether that's a charter school, whether that's a a parochial school, a Catholic school, or a yeshiva. This uncertainty of schooling pushed some parents to send their children to private or parochial schools and pushed others to opt for homeschooling. Other parents delayed their child starting kindergarten. So um, this is a big problem. And in California, for instance, Public school enrollment over the last two years dropped by 271,000. Private school enrollment went up by 12,000. So this decline in public school enrollment is real. And according to the experts, including, um, you know, the uh, Thomas D., who's a professor at the Stanford Graduate School of Education, this is likely to continue. Even now, things are kind of back to normal. So so, uh, the the other concern is some kids might just be truant. If that's the case, these are likely to be very educationally vulnerable children. So um, this is a big problem. So this pandemic 
is having lasting implications, and one of them is a massive exodus from public school. Mike Bloomberg in his New York Post op-ed says that um, part of the problem is the teachers' union have a stranglehold on a lot of the politicians, and it's leading to a refusal from a lot of politicians to properly and adequately fund charter schools. Isn't that interesting? Hey, um, the one other story, well, two other stories that are somewhat related. This is a story from Axios that I saw yesterday. America is pushing teachers to the brink. Axios has this big story yesterday. Teaching has become one of the most draining jobs in America. Today's teachers are navigating the threat of school shootings, a pandemic, and all sorts of political interference in their lesson plans, all while their wages remain stagnant. So teachers are asking themselves, and I'll tell you, this has been the case with friends of mine that are teachers. Teachers are asking themselves whether shouldering these burdens are still worth it. And because of that, a lot of experts are warning of a looming staffing crisis. Brooke Olson-Farrell, superintendent of the Slate Valley Unified School District in Vermont, said, I'm really worried about the profession in general. The amount of people leaving, the quality of the applicants who are out there. We have roles open with no applications. And it's not just our district, it's every district. So it's no secret, even when I was a kid, uh, teaching has long been a profession where the people who do it and the people that do it well are underpaid. But in the last two years, the demands that America is making on its teachers have been mounting. Becky Pringle, president of the National Education Association, the nation's largest teachers union, speaking of teachers unions that uh, Mike Bloomberg was referring to, I've held a lot of crying teachers in my arms as I've crossed this country. They are so overwhelmed, and you can sense the hopelessness and the powerlessness. So my question for you is, what do you do about it? We see the massive exodus from public schools. We see teachers, as Axios has termed it, are on the brink. We see teachers' union leaders and superintendents of school districts both warning about crisis-level shortages when it comes to staffing. What do you do? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. When the pandemic hit, teachers were asked to take on virtual instruction overnight. This is was a task that a lot of teachers felt unprepared for both in terms of the skills and the training that they had and the technology that was available to them. So when schools reopened, teachers became essential workers who had to risk infection and their lives to come to work. A lot of them say they feel unsafe in a country that has already seen 27 school shootings this year. These are events that cause teachers to fear for their lives and leave students desperate for answers that they then question who? The teachers. Sari Beth Rosenberg teaches high school history in New York City. Quote, I feel like we're sitting ducks in, a cl- in classrooms right now. And their classrooms are political minefields. 
you have politicians dictating what they can teach, what students read, what books are banned, what lesson plans are now considered critical, race theory, what and what programs are offered to help kids that might help uh, that might have social and emotional needs. So all of this is straining and draining teachers, drives a lot of them out of the profession, and is contributing to this shortage that is going to outlast the pandemic. In the 1970s, the United States minted roughly 200,000 new teachers a year. How many do you think we do now? 90,000. 90,000. Recent uh, National Education Association survey found that 55% of teachers at different stages of their career, older teachers, younger teachers, they're considering leaving the profession earlier than they planned. And the shortage is already hitting under-resourced schools the hardest. Colleges in rural communities are seeing the biggest declines in young people studying to become teachers. So a lot of Americans don't understand the full picture of what teachers do. And a lot of times they're quick to diminish the importance of teachers. But it's a big problem and it's getting worse. On top of that, teachers don't feel they're trusted. So tell me what you would do about this. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Now there's still, I know a lot of teachers that are still very passionate about their jobs and about caring for their students. But this is a big problem. So some, that woman, uh, that superintendent from Vermont and other administrators around the country, they're trying to find small ways to ease the burden on teachers. Uh, Olson Farrell told uh, Axios, we think about what we can take off their plates. That includes postponing professional development seminars, providing free breakfast and coffee, and extra paid time off. They're also asking parents and other community members to send messages of support of cards, uh, 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 messages of support and cards of thanks. It doesn't necessarily make the situation better, in her words, but it makes it more tolerable. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. Two other education-related stories that I want to bring to your attention, and then we'll Open it up uh, to to your commentary, 800-848-9222. One big thing that came out of the state budget, class sizes in New York City are set to shrink. Mayor Eric Adams won a big victory in the state legislature last week when um, they extended mayoral control for two years. But for city officials... The end of the legislative session also brought a little bit of a setback, a requirement to reduce class sizes. This was a, a requirement that was so supported by a lot of parents and a lot of teachers, but it was opposed by the city because it's going to cost them hundreds of millions of dollars. So in addition to mayoral control, the New York State Legislature passed a bill on Thursday that would require the city to reduce the number of students in each classroom across the nation's largest public school system. This has reignited a half-century-old debate that has pitted teachers and parents who believe smaller class sizes are better for children against city officials. 
who point to evidence suggesting that there are better and more cost-effective ways to improve education. This class size bill, which was proposed by Senator John Liu, which has passed, would require kindergarten through third grade classes be no longer than no larger, excuse me, than 20 students. Fourth grade through eighth grade classes no larger than 23 students, and high school classes no larger than 25 students. Now, I I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of this is John Liu Again, to go back to that Mike Bloomberg op-ed, Mike Bloomberg uh, basically points out these politicians are owned by the teachers' union. And I think this is one. John Liu knew this was a gift for the teachers' union. Classes in New York City are currently capped at 25 students for kindergarten, 32 students for other elementary school classes. I have to tell you, I was in uh, grade school classes that were larger than that. And I thought my education was fine. The average class size was around 24 students during the last school year. I mean, is there a big need to spend hundreds of millions of dollars in the name of small class size when the evidence is at best questionable? And last thing on the subject of uh, classrooms and teachers and teachers being afraid because of all these school shootings, among other things. One of the things that we've heard from uh, people like uh, Ted Cruz and Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is maybe what we need to do is arm teachers and allow them to carry firearms. Well, I don't think that's ever going to happen in a place like New York. It's just not going to happen out here. But One suggestion that I thought was very interesting was from a guy that's been a guest on this show and one of the brightest legal minds of the last 50 years, public interest law professor John Bonzaff. And he made a suggestion um, that he reiterated in in the wake of these shootings that maybe having teachers carry concealed weapons might be problematic but one of the things that they 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 can do and teachers who might be reluctant to carry firearms can do is they can employ um non-deadly force by carrying mace defensive mace-like spray devices and have them available in the classroom some of these mace Spray devices are very effective. One of the reasons I was railing a couple of weeks ago about how it's so annoying that you can't buy them online and have them shipped to New York. I'd love to see our station do a mace giveaway to all the people that have to take the subway on a daily basis. But um, some of these mace spray devices can stop a grizzly bear, sometimes more than 20 feet away. So uh, you have this situation where... These self-defense sprays are a non-lethal alternative to guns, and they might be able to stop or deter an active shooter. Many use an especially intense law enforcement strength uh, red pepper gel, which can project up to 25 feet, and the canister, which requires very little in the way of aiming ability. You just basically aim it in the direction 
of the where you're shooting. So this red gel is designed to coat and cling to gas masks, goggles, glasses, and at the very least, it obscures the vision of these shooters who might protect themselves by trying to wear, you know, goggles or something. So I think this would be very interesting. The teachers could purchase these spray canisters from, you know, you know, put them in a safe box or something in their desk. And I think this would be a great alternative to, you know, the debate about arming teachers. So tell me what you think. 800-848-WABC. One, on the exodus of students from public school. Two, on this Axios article on teachers being on the brink. Three, on the state legislature telling the city of New York, hey, you got to make those classes smaller. And four, on this proposal by Professor John Banzaf to have teachers carry these non-lethal defensive sprays like mace. 800-848-WABC. That is the four-part question for this morning. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. And, of course, you can weigh in on any of the other subject uh, that we um, that that we've con- discussed as well. 1-800-848-WABC. Frankie is in Brooklyn. Hello, Frankie. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> oh, sorry, Frank. <laughs> it's Mikey. It's not Frankie. Oh, okay. Well, according to Ryan, it's Frankie. No, no, no. It's okay. It's a misunderstanding, I guess, or whatever. I said it. Maybe I wasn't clear or whatever. Well, it's very, very big of you, but uh, don't try and get Ryan off the hook. He's, he's on <laughs> no, thin no, ice no, as it okay. is. Anyway, but what I wanted to say is, um, do, you, do you know the small class sizes that you were talking about? How they may be, you know, like years ago, it was 40 in a class. You know, my kid went to, uh, you know, it was first grade. She was in a 40, 40 um yeah, 40 kids in the class, okay? But, um, y- you know, the quality of life itself has really gone down quite a bit. So what people could handle years ago can't handle today, you know, because it comes down to less, less, and less. If You you know, I, I understand this is a school uh, situation or, or, or topic we're talking about, but look at the overall picture. You've got, you call customer service anywhere you go or whatever you do. It's, everything is online. We don't want to talk to anybody. Nope, we can't do this. And if you call somebody, they don't even know what you're talking about. Well, you know, so, so you, you think, you think so, the degradation in quality of teachers is not necessarily related to the unique strains that the teaching profession has been put on. You think it's emblematic of all of society being worse off. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Okay. That's a a valid theory. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. uh, Thank you, Mike. 800-848-WABC, four-part education question. One, what do you do about the massive exodus of students from public school? Two, what do you do about the fact that we are suffering from a teacher shortage right now? Three, what do you think about the fact that New York State is making the largest school district in the country cut down on its class sizes when it's going to cost us hundreds of millions of dollars to do so? Four, what do you think of this proposal by Professor John Banzaf 
to arm teachers with these mace-like spray devices. 800-848-9222. Carry them. Take those subjects any way you want. Sean is in Park Ridge. Hello, Sean. Hey, how you doing? Um, Frank, I think I have an interesting perspective for you. Uh, I think you know I was a teacher for special education for 20 years, and um, I'm not teaching in the school system anymore. I decided to leave for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. But regarding your last part of the question as far as teachers carrying uh, mace and so on, um, I actually taught in a number of um, private special ed schools And, you know, these kids had emotional issues and different things like that. All of these schools always had a crisis team. And what happens is, you know, a student is on edge or is, like, going to lose it and maybe get physical and so on. Uh, The crisis team would be called. Usually the crisis team involved men. And, you know, that was because if a kid, you know, is big or physical and all that, uh, we want to be able to handle them. I think instead of having teachers holding you know any type of weapons whatsoever um i think it would be better just to have a crisis team uh and you have about four or five people on a crisis team to you know be on the side to uh you know dissipate any type of uh violence well that makes sense to me i i guess uh, you know i don't think the two ideas are mutually exclusive what do you um i mean for instance what do you do if there's an active shooter in a classroom with a closed door and a teacher's in there with kids, um, but the crisis team doesn't yet have access to the interior of that classroom. I I still think maybe there's a role for these mace-like devices. I'm not saying, um, you know, do that in place of crisis teams. I think, unfortunately, as the 27 school shootings we've seen this year indicate, there's probably plenty of things that we need to be doing to prepare for these school shootings. Uh, But uh, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I think you could have a crisis team and these non-lethal spray devices. No, I I agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think uh, coming at it from a variety of angles is a good thing. Um, I think the other thing, too, is that there has to be, and this is essential, training with these things. You know, sometimes even though, you know, pepper spray and stuff like that looks simple, uh, a lot of times a lot of teachers, I mean, there are men teachers, but there's a lot of teachers that are women. And, you know, they're not going to feel comfortable with these type of things. So they have to be trained and, like, you know, like taught how to use these things. Well, I would agree with you. Thank you, Sean. I think training is certainly important. And that's one of the reasons I've never loved the idea of giving teachers guns because, you know, I, I, I remember one episode of Boston Legal. And I, it's amazing to me how much of my cultural references were shaped by Boston Legal. I, I, I think I'm probably unique in that respect. But. There's this one episode where this teacher is being either criminally prosecuted or sued because she didn't adequately use an EpiPen in time uh, on a student that was suffering from an allergic reaction. And one of the lawyers on that show, Shirley Schmidt, she says at the end of her very emotional summation, as most TV lawyers do, they have these very stirring summations. She said, forget about who's going to use the EpiPen. If we keep treating teachers like this, Who's going to teach? And I kind of think that's the case with guns. I mean, you force these teachers to get training for guns and firearms and force them to, uh, you know, be handcuffed and what they're able to teach and what books they're able to have kids read and uh, what they're able to say and do in a classroom. 
Who's going to want to go through that? And I think you're seeing that manifest itself now with this teacher shortage. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Pamela's in central New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Hello. Um, I find it interesting that we're focused now on violence from the outside within schools when for years we we still have violence within the schools. And that's why you have uh, an exodus of teachers and the standards for teaching have dropped through the floor because they can't get teachers. And this has been going on for years. Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, it certainly has been. Uh, we're seeing this trend continue, Pamela. That's for sure. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Mike is in North Carolina. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. Listen, you said it before. It's very simple. The teachers' union is very powerful. It's follow the money. Less kids in each class means you have to now set up more classes. So if you have seven history classes with 30 kids or 28 kids, now you have nine history classes, which means you have nine teachers, which justifies their existence. It's not the teachers themselves Uh, I'm supportive of teachers, but it's the administrators who really it's just follow the money, my friend. Very simple. Well, and in the case of New York City, to your point about cost, Mike, it's going to cost us hundreds of millions of dollars to adhere to this mandate. Now, I and thanks for the call, Mike, in your perspective. I've always been generally opposed to unfunded mandates. And one of the one of the worst unfunded mandates was the Bush era, the Bush-Kennedy, no child left behind. But in some respects, this is an unfunded mandate passed on from Albany to New York City. They're saying we have to have smaller class size. It's going to cost you hundreds of millions of dollars to do it. And they're not giving the city any additional state aid in order to do so. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. The question is on these four-part questions. What do you do about it? 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Jeff in New Jersey. Hello, Jeff. How you doing? Good morning. Morning. So I was just uh, saying, like, I work in an inner city uh, urban school in uh, northern New Jersey and uh, school district. My main point is lock the doors, uh, mainly like... um, like, they basically could be opened up from the inside, the kids to let kids in. They need to be having alarms attached to them. You need to arm arm the main entrances with armed guards, uh, especially in inner cities like New York City or other inner city schools. Um, what was I saying also? Pay the teachers more. The teachers, the people think they get they get paid too much and get and work too little. That They don't really know what they do, and they don't really know what they get paid uh, compared to the outside world of school, out of schools. And the pepper spray you talked about is a great idea. Um, I had a hornet's nest. I bought something at Home Depot that, like, sprays from a far distance and basically got rid of those hornets. That's a great idea. Um, so, uh, yeah, all that, those are my points. Well, Jeff, what about on the question of smaller class size? Oh, yeah, good point, yeah. Uh, I, I, I disagree with you when you said you thought that uh, the class sizes are, are just fine or don't you don't have to uh, lower them, especially for kindergarten. Like, you're assuming that all the kids are normal, uh, cognitive, normal learning. Uh, there's a there's a large percentage, larger than you think, that are struggling kids in different ways, not just learning. And uh, 
no, the smaller class size makes sense. You okay. Need spend, you, need, you need to spend on that. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, I'll, I'll give some other people a chance to weigh in, and then we're going to do the $1,000 minute in just a minute. Hey, I want to share with you an SMS text message. I know we moved on from the gubernatorial debate last night, but this is an SMS text message a friend of mine uh, sent me, and this is a very astute observer of politics and somebody that's been a participant in politics. I don't want to say how. Uh, but uh, this is someone that's worked on both the Republican end of things and the Democratic end of things. This is what this person said to me uh, regarding the debate last night. Swazi was amazing and surprised me how good he was. I've seen him debate before, and this was his best debate. By the way, I agree with that. I, 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 this was a different type of Swazi than what I've seen previously. And then this person continues. If he had more money and more time and moment, if he had more money and more time, momentum would be on his side. He came across like a governor. That's, see, that's, that's my view. Exactly. The governor showed she hasn't been in a debate for a, deba- for a decade. She was not comfortable. She stumbled numerous times and got stuck on the Buffalo Stadium and casino money. She said, casino, which one, when she wasn't clear what the question was? She needs to get comfortable on that stage. Jamani is one of the most sincere politicians I've ever seen. His politics and lack of money keep his numbers low. He could have beaten DiNapoli, but his campaign is all about his lieutenant governor candidate winning statewide. So they have uh, a progressive in Albany statewide. So that was interesting. Um, uh, That was not that dissimilar from my perspective. So very interesting. 800-848-WABC. We'll squeeze a few more of these in, and then we'll move on to the $1,000 minute. Bill is in Brooklyn. Hello, Bill. Yeah, Frank, this is Bill calling. Thanks for taking my call. I wanted to start with the uh, with the mandate from the state about smaller sizes. I believe that the state knows that this cannot be done. And the state wants to show that they're doing all they can and they're addressing an important issue. The reason it can't be done, some of your callers mentioned this. You can't reduce class size because you won't have enough teachers to, and you won't have enough classrooms and then you won't have enough buildings, and then you won't have enough physical space in the city. The city can't afford to house people. Uh, how can they afford to build more schools? You then have to get in touch with the school construction authority, and this gets into a tremendous expense. So is the, know the state is just scoring points with the teachers' union, you think, po- politically? Uh, I think they're scoring points with the public and the teachers' union, mm-hmm. The teachers' union would like to have uh, lower class size because then you'd have to hire more teachers. Right, and, and get more dues-paying members. Dues. Right. I, I, I get that. Uh, Bill, thank you. Roger's in Massachusetts. Hello. Yeah, hi. Um, uh, I always felt that uh, the, the whole teachers and guns thing should be strictly voluntary for those who would be have the presence of mind and... Um, could responsibly use them as a deterrent. However, I think that this whole mace thing, I think that's amazing. I think that is terrific. That'd be great. And and um, how much training would one need with something like that? You know, you tell all pupils, put your heads down if, if we're ever in this situation, and then she can use it. If, if they can do 20 feet, that's terrific. And I also think that schools should be like office buildings. You have to be buzzed in. There should be cameras at every, you know, all over the place. And you should be buzzed in by security guards, uh, you know, during school hours. But I think the Mace thing, that was terrific. 
Yeah, Roger, thank you. And again, I don't want to act like I'm taking credit for that myself. That was an idea put forward by uh, Professor John Bonzaff, who is a longtime professor of law at, I believe, George Washington or George Mason University. I think it's George Washington University. Um, but uh, I think it, I happen to think it's a good idea. I think it's something that should be implemented right away. Yeah, it's George Washington University, because you never know, unfortunately, which school is going to be next for one of these shootings. 800-848-9222. Fred is in Yonkers. Hello, Fred. Hey, Frank. Let me get started with the class size. I start the day with 15 in my class. I end with 30. It's definitely a better education when you got smaller class sizes. Kids are so much more needy now, you wouldn't believe it. So when you have 30 kids, it's tough to meet their needs. Second, I'm not afraid of getting shot at school. I don't want to carry a gun. I'm not at all afraid. But we, what we do have is a system. I got a bucket of rocks. If it's a lockdown or someone comes through that door, we let them have it. So it's kind of similar to MACE, but when you teach science, you got a bucket of rocks. And uh, you know? do you get the sense from your your colleagues that many of them are getting frustrated from some of these issues that we we've talked about, including including school shootings, but not just that, everything we've covered? Well, people are getting frustrated with the school shootings, quite frankly, because most of the teachers are on the liberal side. But uh, I think they're more frustrated with the behavior of the students. Mm. It's mm. a different kid than we had 30 years ago. Interesting. These kids are so, so short attention span. That's why you kind of need a smaller class size to meet their needs. Got it. I know it's not happen because they don't got the dough. Well, and here in New York City, it's going to happen, uh, whether Mayor Adams wants it or not. Hey, uh, those of you that are holding, Ralph and Josh and uh, everybody else, uh, please continue to hold. We'll, we'll get to your calls if you want. But for everybody else, we are going to um, give you an opportunity to win $1,000 if you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you can do that, then be the seventh caller now to 1-800-848-WABC. And if you are the seventh caller, you can play the $1,000 Minute straight ahead. WABC. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. I can still remember how that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while But February made me shiver With every paper I'd deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step 
The great Don McLean uh, singing uh, American Pie. A great guy, by the way. I, I've talked to him on the phone a couple of times, and uh, we are going to try and get him on the on the show sometime soon. A, a real talent, and uh, like I said, a heck of a nice guy. But somebody that probably doesn't need to play radio trivia contests to win some extra money, although maybe he does. Uh, but for the rest of us, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. And let's meet today's contestant, Mike in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Mike. Hey, what's happening, man? Hey, look, I told Jospina I am not the guy for this. I wanted to pass it on, but he convinced me to take the shot anyway. All right. If I, if I pass the first question, good, but I really got brain locked. But let's go. I would rather somebody else had the opportunity, but let's go. I'll well, take it. all right, Mike. Uh, uh, if not you, who? If not now, when? Right? I mean, you, you got as good a uh, chance as anybody else. Me now. All right, Mike. Um, okay. Uh, so if you get a question right, we're just going to move on to the next one so that we can try and hit them all, okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay. What president was the Lincoln Tunnel named after? Lincoln. Name a Clint Eastwood movie. For a few dollars more. What city in New Mexico was rumored to have a flying saucer crash there in 1947? Um, oh, my God. Um, where is it? See, brain lock. I can't think. It of starts with an R. Starts with an R. Um, I can't. I got brain lock. That's what I know what it is, but my brain is locked. I can't get it. Uh, all right. Uh, it was Roswell. 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 Look at that. You know what I'm saying? Who yeah. don't know that? Yeah. No, hey, that you get, I know. That's what happens. I've done it. I, I lost on uh, Beat Bernie. I got an easy question wrong on Beat Bernie. Mike, um, yeah. you seem like a great guy and a great listener. I'm going to put you on hold, and we're going to give okay. uh, you a uh, uh, the other side of Midnight T-shirt. And maybe you pick one with an alien on it, right? Because we do have a pretty good selection. If you're interested in learning more about Roswell, give give. Uh, Ryan your information and um, we you know we have some cool shirts and we have a cool mug and a lot of cool gear if you go to wabcradiostore.com you can uh, purchase all sorts of neat stuff uh, that from all your favorite hosts including me and if you use the code the discount code frank15 you'll get a nice discount they're adding new stuff all the time so be sure to check in there i'm buying stuff on there all the time i actually had to stop myself from continuing to go on that website because like every time i go on there i end up buying more stuff and not just stuff for me i said oh i could use that studio 77 jacket that looks pretty good i could use some of that music 77 gear Oh, boy, that WABC beach towel would look pretty neat for when we go to the beach in Atlantic City or Cape May. So I I, I think my checking account's already overdrawn. So I'm, I've, I've stopped going on there because I'm just going crazy buying all this WABC merchandise. But you can do the same uh, by going to WABCRadioStore.com. That's WABCRadioStore.com. And if you use the discount code FRANK15, not only will the folks know that you heard about it from our show, but you'll be able to save some money, which is great. Hey, you know what happened to me yesterday? Uh, My congresswoman is Nicole Maliotakis, as I explained yesterday. She's a close friend, 
and she is uh, somebody that uh, I go back 23 years with. And, you know, we have been through a lot of adventures together. So in my view, now I happen to think she's doing a very good job in Congress, but in my view, she's my friend, right? So I'm for her, hell or high water, no matter what. And I was very pleased that um, they made her the Grand Marshal of the Greek Mm -hmm. Independence Day Parade last weekend because, you know, for all her faults, for all her strengths, she's my friend. And so I'm ride or die with her. I'm going down with the ship no matter what. And uh, to me, that's what you have to do with someone's your friend. So yesterday, it's about uh, 4.45 in the afternoon, and the doorbell rings. And I assume it's just somebody delivering something. But I see on the ring that the person doesn't go away. The person rings the bell and just stands there. And they just keep standing there. And it looks like he's holding something. It looks like he's got a clipboard or something. Just think, leave whatever you got. Just leave it so I don't have to deal with you. I'm basically in my pajamas, you know. And at this point in my life, my... So basically the pajamas I'm wearing are pajama pants and a um, like a tank top T-shirt. So I'm showing off my less than impressive physique in my tank top T-shirt. And in addition to kind of the flabby sh- shoulders and chest that are easily, you know, viewable in my tank top T-shirt, I have psoriasis on my torso. So I don't really love being seen without my shirt on because it looks like, you know, I have, uh, I don't know, it looks like I have uh, leprosy or something. I get all these patches of uh, psoriasis scales on my shoulders. So it's kind of embarrassing. So I don't like a lot of strangers, especially to see me without my uh, shirt on. So this guy's not going away. He's standing at the door, and he, he seems like a nice guy, young guy, beard, and he hands me a piece of campaign literature, and he says, I think you know who I am. And his name is John Matland, and he's running for Congress against my congresswoman, Nicole Mayotakis. He hands me the literature, and he's in a Republican primary. And all I'm thinking, and I know the primary's in 20 days, and people are working hard because they want to get every vote that you can, and primaries especially can be very competitive, and it pays to go door-to-door. And all I'm thinking is, why is this guy here? I'm not a registered Republican. My wife is not a registered Republican. We can't vote in the primary. So why is this fellow here, um, you know, wasting his time and mine? And it turns out the guy was actually a really nice guy. And... um, you know, I said, oh, so you made the ballot because I heard they were trying to throw him off the ballot. And I, I don't think anybody should be thrown off the ballot. And uh, I said, oh, you made the ballot. Congratulations. He said, yeah, they tried to throw me off. I said, oh, you know, Nicole's a friend of mine for a long time. I wish you the best of luck. But, you know, I'm for her. And she said, oh, you know, I appreciate that. I just wanted to come by and say hello. I was ringing all your neighbor's doorbells. And they said, oh, do you know who lives right over there? And um, and they said, and I said, no. And they said, oh, Frank Moreno. And I said, Frank Morano, the radio guy? And they said, yeah. I said, oh, well, I got to go meet him. And all I'm thinking of is, boy, like, what are my neighbors thinking? Why are my neighbors sending more people to my house? And then I kind of lucked out because this guy was a nice guy. There's a giant bumblebee that, I, you know, basically I'm talking to him with my door propped open. And all I'm thinking of is don't let my wife's favorite cat, Beth Sheba, run out of the house. Please don't let the... And all this happens within three and a half minutes. 
don't let Bathsheba run out of the house. Don't let Bathsheba run out of the house. Because if she runs out of this house because I'm talking to a, a guy running for office that I'm not even going to vote for, then I'm going to have a lot of explaining to do. So, but there's a bumblebee, giant bumblebee, that's trying to get in the house. It's one of those ones, I don't know if it's a bumblebee or a honeybee, whatever. It's one of those bees that looks very large and very furry. You know those bees that like kind of have a, a fuzzy look to them? That was one of those bees. Very intimidating looking. So, John Matland, I, I believe that's his name, Matland, sees the bee trying to get in. He says, all right, don't let the bee get in. Don't let the bee get in. And I said, oh, thank you. Best of luck to you. And then he understood me closing the door because I wanted to keep the bee from going in. So that was my that was my interaction with the person running against my congressman. So, again, I was sincere. I wish him the best of luck. I mean, although I hope he doesn't win, but um, it was nice of him to stop by. Seems like a nice fellow. All right. 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. 800-848-WABC. And then I am off to the airport to pick up my siblings who are just back from Hawaii. So perhaps if you're at the airport later today, maybe I'll see you there. Um, Beep. This way I'll know it's you. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll give you 15 seconds of fame to say whatever you like. Next, this is 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C. Frank Marano. side of midnight uh that song provided to us by stevie g and the takamama trio uh you could get this song available for 99 cents on itunes uh just search stevie g and the other side of midnight uh without further ado it is time for you to be heard for 15 seconds uh, i'm going to be back tomorrow morning by the way at 1 a.m uh my guests include i'm, I'm really excited about tomorrow's show we got uh, brian kilmeade coming on we have a woman named Nancy Dennison who um, claims to have died and seen the afterlife and made the decision to come back to Earth and be, be like live in her regular body on Earth. And um, this fascinating, we have the AC report tomorrow because it's Thursday, and we have this fascinating journalist by the name of um, Allison Birdo who did this incredible piece of journalism exploring how the casinos in Atlantic City may have been lying to the public and to the government in order to get a tax break. 
And as I said, Brian Kilmeade will be here as well. The uh, WABC early news uh, coming up at 5 to 6 with Deb Valentine. And then Bernie and Sid from 6 to 10. Their guests include Congressman Peter King and uh, Janae Butler. They're all going to be on. But uh, now is your opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. It's time for... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of faith. Robert in Bay Ridge. Oh, you know, uh, Frank, uh, I feel very sad that our mayor, Eric Adams, is not performing to the abilities of a uh, retired transit police sergeant. Can we help him at this time? Gary on Staten Island. This is Dr. Henry Kissinger. I, I urge peace in Ukraine now. Well, there's something left of the place. It is being bombed or smothering. Dr. Henry Kissinger, I, I want peace. You know, I'll be honest, Gary. Henry Kissinger hasn't sounded that good for a while. Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Frank, that caller from yesterday, Leah, you know, zero to psycho in 30 seconds. You're smart. You're very smart. And I'm sure she'll be making Curtis's greatest hits this weekend. Yeah, I'm about as smart as Fredo, right? Not like everybody says, like dumb. Anthony and Edison. Oh, yes, good morning. I think for now, in the, in the meantime, uh, we need to put some, maybe some police cars in front of the schools in the rural areas. Maybe we'll have some National Guard vehicles out there until we figure this all out. Wouldn't hurt. Certainly couldn't hurt to get some more cops out here anyway. 800-848-WABC. Jeff on Staten Island. Hi, I'm a high school teacher on Staten Island. Whether we have 34 students, 25 students, 20 students or less, if you can't get control of the students, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Thank Jimmy you. in Brooklyn. Jimmy. Sizzamoron, Sizzamoron, Sizzamoron. Mike in the Bronx. Yeah, I've concluded that the radio station is racist towards black, but I love it because they speak their mind, so I'm with it. See, that's nice. If you're going to understand, if you're going to tolerate racism, at least tolerate it for people that are open-mindedly racist. Flattered to be in that company. Evelyn in Hudson County. Frank, I work for a parochial school in Jersey City, but our children are taught to respect each other's religions. This year, with the new registrations coming in, the main reason for the transfer is back into our school, class size in public schools. They're pulling their kids out. And finally, Lucy in the Bronx. Don McLean was interviewed today on another station. He has a new book out called American Pie for Children. Oh, I'm going to reach out to him then. He's, uh, thank you, Lucy. Hey, uh, the WABC Early News is next with Deb Valentine. Ralph, I'm sorry I couldn't get to you. Call back tomorrow. And uh, be sure to tune in to Bernie and Sid from 6 to 10. Frank Moreno, good day. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.